Hello, I'm Morgan Jenkins from the Going In Blind podcast, and you're listening to Dungeon Master's Block. Welcome back, Blockheads, to another episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I am Dungeon Master Chris. And we want to welcome you back to another episode. Here today, we are joined by Morgan from the Going In Blind podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about details and how to use them in your campaign setting when you're DMing. Sometimes we forget the details, Chris. And Sometimes there's a lot that we have to plan for a yeah. night and like we think we have all the details and then we get going and we're like, well, and sometimes we forget. We're the DM, so we do have the details a lot of times in our own minds, but we forget yeah, to Yeah, we're seeing everything, yeah. but we don't explain everything. So we want to tell you guys, you know, here's, here's some ways how to paint pictures in your player's head. That discussion of details is coming all up. Be excited for that. This is our fourth creation and inspiration episode, so you know what's coming. Top tens. However, not today, because this is a two-parter episode. Morgan Morgan likes to talk. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. We 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 had a really fun time with Morgan and we decided that because we had so much content, I think we had like, I don't know, it was much longer than what the episodes will be. We had a lot of talking with Morgan and we decided to split it up into two episodes, give you two weeks of goodness. So you got another week to look forward to. Top tens are coming next week. Today we're talking about details. Before we jump into story time, Chris, we've got some shout-outs. Our first review comes from Australia, the land down under. Very fitting for this episode. Very fitting for this episode. And it's by Dean at the Co-op Couch, and it's entitled A Must Listen To for DMs. And Dean writes, a great pool of ideas and stories for new and old DMs alike. Can't wait to torture, <laughs> I mean challenge my players with some of the ideas the guys have given me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Dean. Thank you so much. Our next one comes from Dragon's Demise. It says, amazing podcast, a lot of amazing DM inspiration, five stars. He writes, this is an amazing podcast with so many great DMing ideas. The DMs and their guests are really fun to listen to and have a great understanding of D&D in general. And they embody the idea that D&D is more about the experience than the rule. Each episode brings different campaign ideas and makes me think of quests and stories I have never thought of. This podcast is a must-listen for new and old DMs, and even though they talk about D&D, many of the tales can be used in any campaign setting and system. Before I found this podcast, I, have, I had been looking for a podcast that discussed the different aspects of being a GM, and I could not ask for a better podcast than this. This podcast heavily inspired me and my friend to start our own Dragon's Demise podcast as well. Thanks for an amazing and inspirational podcast. Thank you, Dragon's Demise. I hope all is going well in your podcasting world and adventures as well. Yes, yes. Uh, and our last one comes from Cryptic3 and is entitled Great Resource for DMs, Both Veterans and Greenhorns. And Cryptic3 writes, As a DM, it's frustrating that I can't talk to anyone about my campaign plans 
because the only people who would care are my players. This podcast helps me scratch that itch. <laughs> yeah, we we understand that totally. Chris and me all the time. We want to tell each other something, but we're like, ah, you're a player in my campaign. I can't tell you how awesome I know, it, this is. It really sucks because I'm like, man, there's so many ideas that I want to share about like this campaign. Yeah. And I've also started planning my next one. <laughs> me too. That I'm like, man, there's so many things that I just want to talk with somebody about. Every now and then, I think we let we give each other little things. I think we do but... because we can. We know that we can handle them. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like. Oh, did I say too much? Like, did I give too much away? I'm not sure. Yeah, so we understand. We yeah. understand that itch. Yeah. We understand needing to scratch it. We're glad that we are able to help you scratch that itch. <laughs> so thank you, Cryptic3. We appreciate that. Well, with that, let's head to story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns. Our favorite moments where we learned about ourselves and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy Storytime. All right, so we played my campaign again, and once again, Chris, you guys are in this giant mega maze created by the gods, and you guys are on the hunt for more of these gems that are collected once you complete these trials that the gods have set in place. You've collected five so far. You know you need 14 of them. And so you're on your way, and this time you're you're walking through the maze. You're trying to find pieces of this map that Olodomar has hid, ripped up, and hid in this maze, uh, and having a little bit of trouble finding it. You found two this time, so you're on your way. Mm-hmm. But you also, this time, were able to complete a couple more tasks from the gods and get a couple more gems. The first place that you guys came across was you came across this this small open room and it was like this large vault. And there were 16 vaults, which you know that there's 15 gems, 14 you have to collect. There's one vault that's empty. And basically what these things are is they're big vault doors, but they look like they're glass doors big glass mm-hmm. vault doors and so you can see inside of them and you see a gem in each of them and the weird thing is is that some of the vaults have the same color gem of some that you have already collected yep and so what did you guys end up doing with this vault room we decided to just we didn't know what was going on with these and so we just opened up the first door because we were like well maybe there's something that we can get behind there like it looks like it's in we can see through the glass there's probably something there and you were helpful in this scenario because a lot of them needed a rogue Mm -hmm. (laughs) you use the key the key that you've collected it shapes into a form that opens these vaults so you didn't have to open lock Mm -hmm. at least right but we did need to search for traps but i didn't do that on the first one (laughs) and i got blasted well I can't remember if I evaded it all or if I took half damage or whatever, but I got blasted. I think this one was with arrows, if I remember right, or was it? I believe it was with magic missiles. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was like it was a bunch of magic missiles that just shot out when I opened the door, and so I took like fifteen points of damage or something like that. The door swings open, and behind the door, unfortunately, is not what we're looking for. <laughs> what is behind the door? It is a it is a yep. wall. <laughs> A big brick wall right there. And so we're like, okay, the rest of these are probably trapped. But let's put a little bit of thought into this before we just open all of them. I think you all were of the mindset, hey, one of these has to have something. This has got to be one of the trials. Yep. And so we thought vaults. What goes in vaults? Gold goes in vaults. 
Garl Glitter Gold could possibly have his gem in here, you right? We looked at the colors. <laughs> we looked at the colors. There was a gold one. We're like, perfect. Let's check it for traps just in case. And so I go up and I check for traps. I'm like, yeah, it's totally, totally good. Totally yeah, you safe. You didn't roll too well for your search trap checks with these. No, the whole thing. And to give to you, these are high level traps. <laughs> right. So eventually, like going through the night, it was always a running joke. Like, yeah, pretty sure there's no traps. <laughs> But you, you guys might want to just step back just to be safe, <laughs> right? So we opened this one, and what what came out of this one was it was that the fireball fire one? Yeah, and so you guys kind of trialed and error this, and what I think you did realize was I don't think that the vaults that show a gem that we have are real. That mm-hmm. must be like an indication, like the ones that we have. Yeah, it's like okay, that's part of the puzzle. Because we already had them. But already. instead yeah. of like saying, hey, let's move on, try to collect more gems, see if we can find this place again, you're like, let's see if we can get this gem. And so you kept mm-hmm. on opening doors and things kept happening. More spells. Mm-hmm. It was worse almost than fireballs. Yeah. At one point in time, like Rick's turned into a monkey yep. and like. Torque turned into like, a dog. Yeah. Like I ended up wanting to murder Rick's <laughs> in his monkey form. And so I would constantly you like. You all were reduced to size. Well, we kept like going through like these these doors from door to door. And like I would start to like. I, I, I texted you. I was like, so I just want to like straight up murder him or do I want to like do it sneaky? And you're like, sneaky. And I was like, okay. Ricks, you should open this door. <laughs> like, it's good. I don't actually roll for a search check on this uh, to see if there's a trap. Ricks, you you check this door. And right after that is when he turned into the in into the monkey. The monkey. Yeah. But I was just like, well, I tried. <laughs> I tried. I tried to kill him. Like, I I did my best. But eventually, we we got through it, and we realized we were like, okay, we have one to Oli Damara. This seems kind of tricksterish, but we already have his, so it can't be his. And we were like, okay, we don't know what colors are who for all the gods and we just we went through and i think we did like four doors after the initial two and eventually we got to the light blue one which was for bokab which all of the doors had something some type of magical trap behind them some arcane spells and i and then i think you all realized too that what you were seeing in these glass vaults that there was nothing on the other side was illusions you were in mm-hmm. this vault yep. of illusions. And so finally you came mm-hmm. to this blue one, like you said, light blue. You checked it for traps. I think you actually like fixed this one. Yeah, I think so. And you open the door, and behind is not a wall, but there's a blue gem in a vault. You take it, and you're like, hey. I think every time that you've we've collected a gem, Chris, you've done the... Every time, yeah. So you guys had another gem, six gems. You got six gems yep. now. And and at that point in time, when we grabbed it, the minute we grabbed it, everybody, whatever was going on with them, just dissipated. Like they were yep. just they changed were back, back to, normal. to normal. I'm like, Chris, you don't have to murder Ricks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and Ricks and Mark was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you trying to murder me? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so you guys continue through the maze, and you come across another big room. If you remember, we last time we talked about the dark room with the statue of Peller, you kind of came to another room that was dark like night. There was grass on the ground, and in the sky, what did you see? We saw stars constellations what stars did you see because there's there's stars of each season like every season yeah it wasn't just like it wasn't just spring yeah. winter i mean it was it was every season all the sky, knows all the, the constellation time. caleb who plays him has a map of all the constellations and so yep. you know he asked like do i see do i recognize any constellations missing and i'm like nope you don't 
And what was on the grass on the ground? There was little orbs of light that were on the ground that looked like they could be stars up yeah, in the sky. Yeah, there was nine of them. We started talking. We're like, okay, what do we do with these? Do we have to like – we're like, okay, there's nine of them. All right, Caleb, what constellations mm-hmm. have nine stars in them? So we tried to rearrange them into one that was like, okay, we have nine stars. And then you were like – Nothing happens. Nothing Nothing happens. I was like, okay, let's put it directly underneath that one. You're like, nothing happens. And so we were like, okay, keep looking for that. Meanwhile, somebody had said earlier, I think it was, was it? Hashtag magic mark. Had said earlier. Yeah, he's like, well, we should probably just create our own. And I'm like, nah, like we were all like, nah, (laughs) that can't, that can't be it. Like, there's no, there's no way it's that. And Caleb had something about like the dragon was missing one or something like that in the real world. Caleb started to remember a a prophecy. And yeah, if you remember, you guys found Bastion Windsailor who was a fallen mm-hmm. star and so and so you, yep. Caleb's like oh maybe we have to like replace f- missing stars but we only know of one missing star that fell to the ground and it's technically not like gone it's just not in the sky anymore <laughs> like it's Bastion Windsailor but there were no other constellations missing so i think eventually you guys were just like you turned to mark and you're just like i guess let's try it <laughs> yeah and I was just like, well, let's just make the Riders of Shemesh. <laughs> well, let's put a Riders of Shemesh up in the sky. So him and Caleb got together. They put their heads together and created this really cool, like, it looks like a horse. Well, it was funny because at first they, like, Caleb, I think, just drew the dots. Mm-hmm. And we looked at it and we're like, what the heck? And then yeah. he connected the dots and we're like, dude, that looks like a dude riding a horse. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and Mark Mark had ended up making a griffin. And we just we ended up going with the horse because it actually it looked more like somebody was riding on the back of a yeah. horse, which was kind of what we were going for, for the most part with this constellation. So the minute we made it, it all kind of like, I don't know if we saw light go between each one or whatever, but they became magically connected yeah, together. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Caleb's character then... Instead of trying to pick them all up at the same time and put them up in the sky, he just picked one up and they all went together and placed it in the sky and it, they were locked in place there. And then something fell from the sky. Yep, we had a black orb with white, I think it was white speckles all over it that yep. looked like... Like stars. Like stars. And so we ended up getting another one, which we believe it's probably for celestian number yeah. seven and you made the banana <laughs> yeah yeah you did it for every single one yep every single but one. yeah and so you guys you guys actually and i told caleb circle for me on the star map where you put it in the sky so now i've got to go back and edit my star chart because you guys have created a constellation in the sky mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm yep. glad that you guys didn't originally listen to hashtag magic mark that was like let's make the giant turd in the sky <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's right. I probably would have done some retconning there. Yeah. Yeah. Giant turd in the sky. Yeah. Uh, But, okay, so you guys moved on, and you found another room with another task from the gods. You Basically, you found this long room, this, like, big, long room. Mm -hmm. And And as we were walking in, there were vines and stuff everywhere, too. Yeah, and, and there's these three glowing celestial archers standing on a podium, and behind them is this light green stone. What happened when you guys stepped into the room? It was basically like every step that we took, we had three arrows shot at us super quick. Didn't matter who stepped forward, didn't matter what way we went. But as we moved closer, these arrows would be shot at us. If we move backwards, they're fine. Like it didn't it didn't matter to them. So we tried a bunch of different things. Like I was going to try and go all the way around and then see like if I could just go sideways and see if that would work to somehow work my way up there. Because we were like, okay, do we do we just have to take the 
brute force of all of these arrows? Or is there some, like, trick that we can do to get around these things? Caleb tried flying up super high as a hawk and coming down behind him. Maybe they can't turn around. Like, who knows? And so he figured out real quick, like... If you're moving forward, it doesn't matter if you're moving far away from them. It doesn't matter how but if high you're up you are. Closer yeah. to the back of the room, you're going to be getting shot by arrows. And so Rix was just like, "All right, I'm just going to go for it. Like I think I have a high because you were making us roll a reflex. Yeah, you guys save. were like had like, to dodge I, them. That was the yeah, the trial. Yeah, he's like, I he's like, I think I have a high enough reflex save. I was like, Well, I can I can do it too. Like if you don't make it, so he like he came up with it. He, he was, did he really was way well. Closer, so he did really well up until the last like 15 <laughs> feet yeah. where he just failed everything it was like the first like five of them perfect did them amazingly well like dodged them all like he was getting like yeah really he was like high 27 30 26 yeah. So, yeah yep and so eventually it was like 9 14 and i think that last one didn't he get a crit yeah. one <laughs> yeah he got he got a crit one and so um he ended up falling like the step before he could have gotten onto the altar, and he took a lot of damage. And you guys are he like, took a lot uh, of "Do yeah. I need to get up there? Hopefully survive mm-hmm. and drop a tear mm-hmm. in his mouth?" And you you pull out your your goblet, <laughs> yeah. And you're I like, "All right, guys, let I me start, do it. I have a good reflex." I start running like I have a good reflex because Grouthoof doesn't, Torque definitely doesn't with his armor on. And so I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna get up there, try and heal him." And hopefully we can get onto the platform and, and maybe that'll end it. We don't know how this thing's going to work, but maybe we can end it that way. And so I went and I I rolled really, really well. I think I ended up rolling like two nat 20s. And for that, you rewarded me like, you yeah, you dodge it really further, well yeah. and jump forward like another five feet, like without getting shot. And so I did that twice, got right up behind him, poured some of my cup to Yandala in his mouth. And then he moved forward. I stayed in place. He ended up getting to the platform. They just kind of like they just kind of like as soon as he stepped on the platform, whisked away. And it was so mm-hmm. funny. He's just like I high five them, and I'm like, yeah, right. They wisp away, and he's like, yeah, all right, right I high five right. their wisps. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so he walks up, grabs the gem, and that was it for that room. We didn't run into any other challenges on the way out. That was that was just it. So you got that gem, uh, which. <laughs> Rick's almost died. <laughs> Thankfully, mm-hmm. Rick's Rick's. It was uh, there was some. It was a rough uh, night. You for tried Rick's. to kill Rick's. <laughs> Rick's almost died by some celestial archers. Ooh, mm-hmm. Rough night for Rick's. More on that later. Yep. So you guys kept going in uh, to this <laughs> to this big maze, trying to find more challenges of the gods, and you come across this like flooded area of the maze, and you have to get in this boat and go down these these halls of this maze in this boat and the water looks deep and you come across this big open area with this big dark pool of water and so you you decide all right let's let's take the left tunnel and a little teeny tiny boat yeah let's take the left tunnel Groudhoof is flying ahead as a hawk Groudhoof hears behind him this big noise like whoosh, out of the water and this this monstrous roar and probably some no ah, what's going on yep Yep. And what had happened? <laughs> From what we could tell was above the water, it looked massive yeah. sea serpent that came up out of the water. And we're like in this little stupid dinghy. <laughs> like I think you drew it and it had like four squares on it for like, oh, hey, you have like five feet in any direction you can move on. Aren't and the gods the always the so the funny boat. with their like, oh, four of us in this place, four corners with four pair with four pairs of boots. This mm-hmm. this little dinghy can fit four people. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're so coincidental. <laughs> yep. It was 
it made it awesome. <laughs> we ended up fighting this thing. Like Caleb used one of his water elementals that we had a little bit of a discrepancy with later <laughs> um, and during to like draw some attention away from the sea serpent. Rick's did really well shooting it. Like I was able to get a couple hits in before it moved a little bit away. Like Torque was able to get a couple of good hits in and slowly but surely we whittled it down. Yeah, you all you all as a team play your parts pretty dang well. Like in mm-hmm. this battle particularly like Torque as the meat shield probably saved your you guys because he he his, probably saved my his life high more than AC I think. and his health like definitely ate in the like this thing has a huge BAB and has a huge damage like <laughs> ratio when he does connect mm-hmm. with his butt. Yeah, so we eventually ended up killing it. It sinks down into the water and up out of the water pops a was it the dark, dark blue gem, blue gem. Yep. that popped out of the water? Yeah. So we we figured that this was probably the gem and the color of Procon yep. because it's like, hey, water. Why wouldn't Procon give us a sea serpent, you know? So now you guys are up to nine gems, <laughs> which is pretty mm-hmm. awesome. You guys yep. are on well on your way. And that was not the end of the night. You you were gonna collect one more gem in your night. Yeah, we wanted to make it an even Yeah, time. right, exactly. <laughs> that was your plan. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, 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 let's not mm-hmm. get fourteen. <laughs> so yep. you guys keep on going. And you run aground, and you search this maze even more, and you come across this one dead end. You found this necklace of fireballs, and mm-hmm. it, you're like, oh, sweet, sweet, awesome necklace. Uh, we didn't know what it was. No. Like, we knew what it was as, as players, yeah. but our characters are like, what in the world Because magic is new. In Caleb, well, Caleb was the only one that knew what it was because he cast Detect Magic and Identify, but he was in hawk form, so he couldn't talk yeah. to us, you know, so... <laughs> He, I, like, I just put it on my neck. I was like, okay, I don't know what these things are. Kruor, the guy that's super skeptical of all yeah, magic, right? put a ring, a necklace of fireball <laughs> around his neck. <laughs> and so you guys, like, end up sleeping in this corner, this dead end. You're like, dead end's got to be a good place to sleep, right? And Yeah, we, we, we're, we've been carrying this door around with us, too, because I was like, oh, this thing would be sweet. Yeah, the to truth door. The, the Riders of Shemesh. From, uh, well, two story times ago, if you we, mm-hmm. they took a truth door off the wall and brought it with them. So they stuck up this truth door and said, wake us up if something comes at, at us in the middle of the, like, not night, because yeah, there's so no that way we didn't day have or to night watches and Yeah. Yeah, we could all get some sleep. And yep. so you guys all slept, and you wake up to shouts of, wake up, wake up, something's coming. And what did you wake up to? Coming down this dead-end tunnel. <laughs> Probably the worst possible thing ever because it took up the whole hallway. Like, we couldn't sneak around it. Like, we couldn't run around it. Like, we had no barrier to move except for to fight this thing. It was a, well, not giant, but it was a gelatinous cube <laughs> that was probably a little bit bigger than normal it, size. Well, it was it was pretty giant. It, I'd say D&D terms, probably huge size. It was Yeah. Okay. It, it wasn't yeah, yeah. we we talked we talked about a giant gelatinous cube devouring cities being the size Not of that a city, big. yeah. We figured it was 40 by 40 feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically we were like, well, it's fight or die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we have you to guys do. were like, yeah. we need to kill this thing. <laughs> Before, because yeah, Grouthoof ended up throwing a tree down and saw that it was disintegrated into acid. Mm. And you guys are like, uh, we need to kill this thing before it gets to the end of the hall, because we're at the end of the hall and this is a dead end or we die. Grouthoof can't fly up and go over the wall. <laughs> can't take everybody. <laughs> yeah, uh, he could fly up and fly over this thing, but the rest of us are gonna die if this is gonna happen. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, fight or die. And so, what did you guys do? So. Everybody started fighting. Like Grouthoof threw down some fire elementals, and Kruor, the guy that's super skeptical of magic, is throwing 
these little red orbs from the necklace that are exploding into huge fireballs on top of it. Yeah, you're like lobbing them over like a like a delinquent kid trying to throw rocks onto the roof of a house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they would like they'd see this huge explosion and like some jello would fly off, like molten pieces of jello would fly off of the top of this thing and eventually we ended up defeating it. And we got some pretty cool treasure from the inside of it too. So, but yeah, we we ran into some gelatinous cubes that were slightly bigger than normal. Uh and if we wouldn't have, we more than likely would have died. Yeah, that was a, that was a crazy encra- encounter. And so finally, you, you guys actually beat it, and you move throughout the these la- this labyrinth a little bit more, and you come across another giant room with a huge tree, and there's vines all over this place growing on the walls, and at the top of like this 300-foot tree, there's a dark green gem. Mm-hmm. And so what happened here? We decided, this seems pretty easy. Grauhof, just change into a hawk and go. Yeah, we don't have to climb it. That's probably the task. Yeah, Yeah, that's probably the task. Let's just make this easy on ourselves. Just go up there, Grauhof. Just get it down. And the minute he grabs it is the minute when everything turned for the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Out of the vines like came all of these creatures. Like There was spiders, and there was boars, and there was wolves, and there was bears, and there was dire bears, and there was dire wolves. And And the the worst of all, the dire bear. (laughs) Yeah, the dire bear. That was terrible for you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because you pulled off of the shelf, you pulled off things that weren't exactly representative of what was there. So you pulled off like an owl bear, Mm -hmm. and you pulled off like a bunch of these different things, and we're like, what in the... Like, does Mitch hate us? Like, what <laughs> What in the world are we fighting here, you know? And slowly but surely, we ended up killing them. For the most part. For the most part. There was a griffin as well, so there's some, like, aerial maneuvers going on with Grauhof. And the dire bear did something pretty awful. Yeah, something really lucky on the bear's part yeah. and really unfortunate on Rix's part happened. I believe, and this was not me looking at your dice... I believe I can confirm your belief. Yeah. I believe the dice rolled in such a way that a critical hit, possibly more than one critical hit, happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we just see out of like I see it out of the corner of my eye and Torque is like looking at it happen. This dire bear's mouth go over Rick's head, <laughs> bite around his neck shake him around a little bit, and then throw him down. And, and Rick's the Rick's rabbit just kid lays there. is limp, <laughs> and his yep. body is broken. I think pretty much Magic Mark knew it was coming because mm-hmm. he was watching me do the math, and I was just like, oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, there was man. this moment of hesitation. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there was this moment of hesitation where you were just like, I really don't want to say this number out loud to him because this is going to crush him as Mark's spirit so bad. <laughs> but you were like, he does 78 points of damage. Yep, exactly. And we're just like, what the <laughs> heck? What kind of diabolical creature is this? And this is one like hit. And hashtag magic Mark is just like... It wouldn't have mattered if I was at full well, health. He, he didn't he didn't heal though was the other thing. But yeah, he's like, but yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't have mattered, mattered <laughs> even if I was at full health. Yeah, 
Yeah, and so he just like lays there, and at this mode, like Torque just goes into like beast mode. We start yeah. killing cleave, more things. Cleave, and, cleave, cleave, cleave. Yeah, great yeah. cleave. It was yeah, it was crazy. And Groutho flies down, and he's like, like I'm getting low in health. Torque's getting low in health. He he flies down and like puts his wings around us, and does hide from animal. You guys pick up Rix's dead body. You mm-hmm. sneak away, and we use another one of the tears of tears of the gods. Yep. Thankfully, Kruor was there to name them that. Uh, <laughs> and they poured it down his throat. Ricks comes back to life. Yep. All his wounds are healed. And that was where we ended up leaving off for the night. Was so now you life. have 10 gems. You mm-hmm. have two tiers of the god used, two left, mm-hmm. hoping that you don't need more than two in this dangerous, dangerous maze, hoping you don't run into any more dire bears who do terrible, terrible crits. <laughs> yes. Dire bears suck. Yeah. <laughs> Although I want one as a mount. <laughs> you fight a giant sea serpent and the dire bear ends up killing one of you. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was our third night in the maze. You guys need four more gems. So hopefully next time you'll be able to thank collect you, them Istis. all and see. Yeah, thank you, Histus. And see <laughs> where this exit is. Oh, that's right. We still have to find the exit. <laughs> so tune in for the next story time of my campaign to see if they find their way out of the maze and find the rest of these gems. But until then, let's head to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? So for the meet today, we are having our fourth creation and inspiration episode. You know what that means. We've got top tens for you. And today we are going to be talking about details and joining us today to talk about details and to share his top tens with you is Morgan Jenkins from the Going In Blind podcast. Welcome, Morgan. Thanks for joining us here on the Dungeon Masters block. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is this awesome. This is great. We're, we're, really, <laughs> we're really excited. I was telling Morgan off the air that I caught his show early on. Ever since episode one or two, I've been like, we got to have this guy on the show. And so finally our dreams are made true and two worlds are colliding because Morgan, you are not from the States. You're from a little bit farther away. <laughs> just just a little bit further uh, down south uh, than, the, than the, the United States, yes. I'll probably be inserting a didgeridoo sound in right about now. <laughs> yes, the, the, the sound of a boomerang returning or a, a shrimp crackling on a barbecue. Don't, don't put that one in there. That's not actually how you cook shrimp. That's a terrible misconception. Also, right. we don't eat blooming onions. I don't understand what's going on. Well, regardless, they are delicious. It, you haven't guessed it. Morgan is from Australia, from down under. So we're actually recording right now in where we are. It's pretty early in the morning. Where you are, Morgan, it is not prettier in the morning. It's pretty late at night, so... It's, it's actually so late at night, it's now early in the morning. <laughs> Just there a little bit earlier than you. And and we have to give a special thank you for joining us because we know with this time difference, it is probably a little bit crazy, but we're really happy to have you here, and hopefully the sleep deprivation will be worth it. So. Well, if the uh, editing quality of the podcast that I do is uh, any... any uh, inclination of uh, how sleep deprivation works for me i think we're going good <laughs> there we go perfect awesome yeah i know we uh we were talking about this like 
a couple, maybe it was even last night, trying to figure out the when you would be on and when we would be on. And uh, you were like, well, I got to stay up and edit late anyway, so <laughs> whatever. And then you told me you were going to bed and kept on answering our Twitter <laughs> messages. You're like, yeah, I can't fall asleep. What are you going to do? <laughs> and then you answered me a while later, and you're like, oh, I'm up now. I'm like, geez, man, do you, do you people not sleep in Australia, or is this just you? But we don't, because, uh, of course, Australia, we're about, uh, three quarters from the surface of the sun down here. <laughs> uh, it's very so it's always, very always sunny. We never sleep. Always sunny in Australia <laughs> is going to be the uh, sequel to Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Let's awesome. hope it goes for as many seasons. Yeah, yeah amen to that. Danny DeVito with an Australian accent. That'd be perfect. That, that would be terrifying. I cannot <laughs> wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> uh, that's what I wanted to see. All right, well, let's let's jump in here. First of all, Morgan, we would like to just ask you, just tell our listeners a little bit about Going In Blind, the podcast. Okay, uh, so Going In Blind, the podcast, it's a, a Dungeons & Dragons let's play with a little bit of editing in there. We play the game and then cut out whenever it's time to explain some interesting things to people uh, about some of the rules, and then we come back. Funnily enough, that's not the thing people tend to notice the first time <laughs> they come across Going In Blind. The first thing they notice is that it is a podcast with vision impaired and legally blind players. We have, at the moment, two players uh, who are both legally blind, uh, Maddie and Kat, and they are both terrifying human beings with a thirst for power <laughs> and blood, and they are more than happy to run around slaughtering all sorts of creatures and creating <laughs> necklaces out of their teeth. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> <laughs> And we've been going for for a couple of episodes now. Uh, the first two episodes, the, their character creation and setting up what going in blind is, the adventure kicks off at the start of episode three. And going from ep episode three to episode eight, it's a prequel to the Lost Mine of Fandelver starter mm. set because I, I read the hooks in that and sort of went, you know, they're, they're right up there with what you talked about in episode 23 with You Are Not In A Tavern, um, <laughs> where it's, uh, you are on the back of a cart with other people go. Yep. I sort of thought, that's, that's not great. So I, I gave the our two players a bit of a, a broader hook to get them into the story. And that's <laughs> what plays out in those earlier episodes. Nice. I really actually love the way that you do edit your podcast with the little interjections because you are an actual play podcast. However, you do explain some really knowledgeable basic rules of D&D &D as you go. Like you'll <laughs> you'll have a player roll a nat 20 and instead of just going, "Oh, you did this much damage and blah blah," you will like pause the episode and explain to the listener base a natural 20 is this and this is what happens when you roll a natural 20. Also a natural a natural one is this and I think it's a great way to have an actual play podcast, but still teach people who don't know about Dungeons and Dragons, who maybe have turned in, this is how you play Dungeons and Dragons. Fantastic. Work. It came about as a happy accident. I'm really happy that it did, but it eventuated because in some of those earlier episodes, like the character creation episode, Cat or Muddy would ask me a question like, what's a sorcerer? Yeah. And my response in the actual recording, if I were to ever release that, is me sitting there going, um, a sorcerer is like a, um, uh, he's kind of got a thing with, uh, uh, I don't have the book. Can you be something else? I've got this. Can you just, can you be a fighter? I know fighters. <laughs> right. And, um, and she's like, no, I'm going to be a sorcerer. I'm like, oh, all right. I don't understand. 
And so that was all cut out and replaced by me back in the studio going, and a sorcerer is this very important thing yeah. that I totally know <laughs> right, about. Right, right. And then cutting back in. Courtesy of uh, that little mishap, was not expecting it to throw sorcerer at me that early in the morning. <laughs> From that point on, it became very clear that uh, that's how we would go, is cutting back and forth between the action at the table, me describing little bits and pieces of information, <laughs> and getting a bunch of people in to pretend to do all the voices and and uh, and do dramatic recreations of some of the big events. That's awesome. So it didn't even start off as like, this is how we're going to do it. It just kind of happened to happen, and I think it happened for That's the That's kind of how that's things a... happen. The great ideas are things that just kind of are thought of afterwards just, or something that you yep. had to do because you know something went wrong. We should probably yeah. do this here. <laughs> yes, and then afterwards you just go, oh, and I meant it the whole time. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, but now everybody knows you didn't mean it, so... I have no idea what you're talking about. This is just a conversation, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. One of the questions that I had fairly early mm -hmm. on, and now I know the answer to this, but maybe some of the listeners are wondering is, do you guys just use regular dice for your games? <laughs> uh, sometimes we do. Uh, we do have, um, okay, this is actually going to be a bit of a, uh, you're getting a, an exclusive is the word I was looking for. Ooh, we awesome. do have <laughs> a couple of large uh, D20s that we use for Cat and Maddie who are legally blind. Uh, but they don't have complete vision loss. However, we do have a specially 3D printed mm -hmm. Braille D20 that we use in another game that we've been recording that hasn't come out yet. Ooh. That is possibly slightly more science fiction mm. based. Interesting. Plans plans for that to come out as a podcast? Oh yes. Ooh, nice. Oh yes. As as soon as we've finished editing sort of the first couple of episodes of that, it'll be coming out every second week. So one week it'll be Cat and Maddie, and then the next week it'll be the sci-fi going in blind and flitting back and forth between the two. Fantastic. When that comes out, let us know. We'll post that on our Twitter <laughs> feed so our listeners can be like, oh, cool, check that out. Fantastic. So that's that's sweet. I saw you post something about that on your Twitter feed that you had to print out like another Braille dice, and that's awesome. So you guys aren't ordering these from places. You guys are making them yourselves. That's correct. You can order them from, from some places. There are some places out there that, uh, that do them. There was a Kickstarter that did a bunch of them uh, not that long ago, and also 64-ounce uh, games do have Braille dice. But no, uh, we had to 3D print our own and we 3D printed a little test dice, and then we did the big one, and then I managed to lose that. I'm fairly certain the cat ate it, and uh, <laughs> and so now we've got uh, we've got the new one uh, that we've been using. Cat got your tongue. Cat got my dice. <laughs> I love 3D printing. I really wanna. <laughs> it's just such an amazing thing. Oh, it's brilliant. But I, I've been 3D printing incredibly boring things. Other people around me are like, <laughs> I'm doing a dragon's head, and I'm like, I'm doing a hook for my headphones. <laughs> And you raise your fist in the air and they're just shaking their head. <laughs> so I think one one question that I had when I first started listening to your podcast was how did Going In Blind first come about? Tell us about that. Uh, so Going In Blind came about because I got involved with uh, volunteering at an organization called Vision Australia which is an organization in Australia that deals with blind and visually impaired people, providing them with assistance and checkups and reading the newspapers to them because they can't read them. Uh, so they have a, an audio section that goes out on the radio. And I got involved in the radio side of things because it meant I could get up and have as much coffee as I wanted to and talk to some <laughs> people and press three or four buttons 
And then once a year we got a big dinner and it was exciting. And I got to meet a whole bunch of people and talk to a number of the clients of Vision Australia who write and wanted to produce their stuff on the air. In doing all of this, I started to notice in their day programs, they had a lot of stuff like blind cricket and blind car racing and swish, which is like table tennis, but you hit it mm -hmm. under the net. But they didn't have any of the things that I liked, like sitting inside <laughs> yeah. and putting on Amen. voices. And, uh, and, and, and uh, of course, uh, there are about five games that you can play if you're vision impaired. Chess and checkers and Uno and Monopoly and Connect Four, and that's about it. And uh, so I thought it would be fantastic if I could trap a bunch of people in a room and make them play the thing that I like for hours. <laughs> and uh, so I approached Vision Australia and said, hey, can I do this and record it with their permission, of course. And, uh, and they said, yes, go about it. So uh, we got a, a number of clients that were interested and uh, they came to me and uh, we've been going strong ever since. That's so cool. So I guess, I guess one question I have for you is having DM for visually impaired players for a while, what has that taught you about Dungeons and Dragons and DMing just in general? It has taught me two very important lessons, I'd like to think. Uh, number one is that preparation is everything. It is so much. It is so key. And uh, if you haven't sat down and done the preparation and you go in there and uh, you try and wing it, especially if you're dealing with vision-impaired players where you have to pay so much attention to detail. Yeah, where description is a lot of what you need. So much. And you, you need to have that preparation time in there, otherwise you will fall in a heap. As happened a couple of times before I figured that out. The other thing it taught me is that I am an idiot. I, <laughs> I truly, truly am. Because while I'm quite good with the preparation and I get in there, Every now and again, I get caught up in the game and then I'll just hold up the player's module and point to something and say, it's there, look, <laughs> it looks like that because my ability to describe has failed me. And so I'll just point at it and the just cat sitting there going, we Morgan, can't, you we know can, I can't We can't see, see that. that. Don't hold something up that's a picture <laughs> for us to see. <laughs> And then I just sit there going, oh, oh, I am, I am not a smart man. I am so glad we edit. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And at least you have a good enough relationship with them that it's not like offensive to them at that point. No, no. Thankfully, that didn't happen in session one. It happened in sort of session five or six. So they were incredibly forgiving at that point because they went, oh, we already know he's a moron. This is, <laughs> this is fine. Oh, man. So going along the same lines of RPGs, like what? What is the community in Australia like? Like, we know what it is here in the States, and I think a lot of our listeners know what it's like here, depending on what region they're in. Uh, but what is it like overall in Australia? Is it big? Is it small? Like, percentage-wise? The RPG community, yeah. yeah. The RPG community in Australia is incredibly sort of lots of little close-knit groups, but each of those groups talk and interact with the others because we're so spread out and there are so few of us, when we do come into contact with each other through Facebook groups and the like, we tend to clump into these little groups and do everything. So if you're interested in Dungeons and Dragons and you, you join one of these groups playing D&D, &D, it wouldn't surprise me if in a month's time you disappeared down the rabbit hole that is War Machines <laughs> or 40K or something. Yeah. You, just, you, you tend to take everything in. And, uh, and they are incredibly close-knit, and you start to 
you get to know everyone in your your little group, but then each of you have little spider webs going out to these other groups <laughs> and uh, going out to the wider role playing community right through into things as uh, bizarre as live action role playing and larping and and uh, battle games and foam swords and running around. Which you're a part of, right? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, no, I am. I am. I'm. <laughs> I'm actually. I'm involved in. Uh, I'm. I'm a player in. Uh, in one lap because I. I thought to myself, you know, I may be a nerd, but I'm not so nerdy to ever play D and D. And then a friend <laughs> tricked me into playing D and D, and I went, oh, I love this, but I'm not. That's so how it happened nerdy. for me with yep. Chris. <laughs> yep, I tricked him into <laughs> but playing. But I, it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get into live action role playing. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> and then um, friends of mine, several friends of mine, just pestered me for a, a year and then eventually they said there's a big event coming up and I went oh oh I'll come along to that and uh yeah now now I'm, I'm an active member in the Swordcraft LARP in uh, in Victoria in Australia and uh, and also I DM another LARP called Karuna which is uh, fantastic because it's all the fun I have at the table but I get to torture hundreds of people <laughs> that's awesome that's so cool <laughs> And and so I guess our last question that we want to ask you is one that we ask all of our guests that come on. And you kind of mentioned it a little bit already. Yeah. How did you first get into Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games? Uh, the way I first got into Dungeons and Dragons was admiring it from a distance, having a number of friends who played it, but I just couldn't bring myself to get involved. And then... A friend of mine decided that it would be really great if he got me interested in WoW, <laughs> then got me interested in Dungeons and Dragons, all the while going, you like Lord of the Rings? It's totally just that. <laughs> yeah, ended up handing me the books and, and going, you need to purchase these in order. And that's the trick is <laughs> if you don't purchase the books, you're a player. If you purchase the books, you're a DM. And Get he went, you should game. probably... <laughs> You should buy the books. That would be a great thing if you did that, Morgan. <laughs> I went, okay, Nick. And if anyone has listened to the Going In Blind podcast, they've heard of Nick. Mm -hmm. He's a terrible human being, and he's wonderful, <laughs> and he's just he, he's done a number of terrible, terrible things to me during these games. I don't know how you react to that because you look back on that now with like your. You're doing uh, Going In Blind. D and D's a huge part of your life now, and you're LARPing and everything. And you're like, you know, Nick kind of shystered me into buying these books <laughs> for him, Nick. <laughs> but he got me into something that I love. How do I feel about this? <laughs> oh, I can tell you exactly how I feel about that, because when we started round robining, he got my barbarian killed by convincing him to attack people unarmed. So still a sore spot. Nick, if you're listening, how dare you? <laughs> No, it's it, it's absolutely fantastic, and uh, and yes, yeah, so that's how I ended up getting into D and D, and uh, have not looked back since. It's been brilliant. That's awesome. Okay, so for the meet today, we are going to be talking about details. Details as a DM. What is important about details and focusing in on certain things, and maybe even not what not to focus on, because there is a point where you can overdo details. I remember in 11th grade having to read the book The Grapes of Wrath and if that is somebody's favorite book out there, I'm so sorry because I am going to insult it, but it is I think I spark noted most of that book. Oh my gosh, that book is awful. Like 
30 pages on a turtle crossing a road. <laughs> it is terrible. I don't even remember that part because I sparked it. was basically it. The, the reading that book was read the chapter after the first one, the second chapter, because the first one is like a turtle crossing the road, then skip the third and read the fourth, then skip the fifth because every other chapter was like a, here's a, here's a tumbleweed blowing in the wind for 60 pages. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like no. We don't need that. You can do details too much. But what I think I find is most DMs get in this mode where they forget really important details. And I think sometimes one of the problems that we run into as DMs is we in our own minds see what we see so vividly because we know our story, we know our characters, that we forget that our mind is not a TV that our players can plug into. (laughs) And so we need to cue into those vivid images in our own mind and describe them to our players to add more depth to our game. And Morgan, as, as somebody who is put into a game where you're dealing with people who are visually impaired, like details have, like you said, when Chris asked you, what has it taught you? This is something that I'm sure comes into your mind often that it's like, I need to spend some extra time focusing on this and developing this character and telling them what this is. So I think it, it's probably at the front of your mind a little bit more than most DMs out there. <laughs> I'd imagine so, yes. <laughs> it's certainly details are incredibly uh, important for our games uh, yeah. for some of the more obvious reasons. But also, I've found that uh, because of this, because of the amount of details that I've had to put in and the way I've had to think about it and uh, the, you know choosing the right amount of details to have and the right amount to tell the players about, and uh, getting the mix right, I've found that having details, having details and doing details right makes the world real. Yeah. Not realistic, you know, it's not like, oh, all of a sudden magic's gone. No, it it just, it makes the world feel right. Yes, especially when your players are jumping into the mindset of their own characters. And, And for players who are listening, this is something I think that's important for players as well. Like, when you come into a game as a certain character, you in your mind have the details of your character spelled out. But I usually find as a DM that I have to kind of say, all right, guys, let's go around and take a few moments and describe your characters because if you don't give your players that moment, they'll usually breeze past it. And everybody at the table should be interested to find out what each person looks like and what everything about their characters. And like you said, Morgan, like there's there's different aspects. I think even for you as a as a podcaster doing an actual play, you have to think about people that are beyond your table. I don't know if you mentioned this, but your podcast is on the radio, right? Like they're in Australia? <laughs> it is, yeah. So you're thinking about the people who tune into your podcast and download it and people who are in your area and are listening on the radio and they don't see what's in your mind. And so you need to, I know you need to probably focus on detail and it's probably at the forefront of your mind quite a bit. So let's let's talk a little bit about why are details important in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yeah, I think for me the one of the biggest things when I think of details is it makes things memorable. Like I can think of in your last campaign Mitch when we did when we fought the Sons of Bastion, I can remember this one specific point where I was looking through that giant telescope up on the top yeah. of the tower and you described for me everything that was happening out in the water with the big rocks coming up out of the water from you know the really powerful wizard and destroying and dismantling all of these ships and some of these ships kind of like limping to shore still and and I remember that and I just thought to myself that's one of those memorable times 
that I will never forget just yeah. because of the way that it was described. And that's that's a good point because those details that were described have become even more memorable because I think when you when you describe stuff with details that will just reel and pull your players in like Chris that moment you've talked about that moment on the podcast before at the table before like on numerous occasions. Part of it was is because I was the only one that yeah. saw it happen, and then my guy died. I think for you that has become even more vivid, the details in your mind, because of the original details made it like such a like visualization in your mind that you just remember it. That yeah. memory part is so huge. Oh, it, it, it's enormous. I mean, if I was to say that you came across a bugbear named Clark, and then a week from now I turned to you and said... Uh, do you remember that thing that you fought a week ago in that cave? Do, do you know what its name was? Yeah. You'd have no idea. You'll have forgotten it. <laughs> yep. But if I told you that the bugbear was wearing purple and gold remnants of a wizard <laughs> robe and his right arm was shaved of all of its fur, oh, yeah. and on closer inspection he had what looked like injection marks at the crook <laughs> of the elbow, and I passed this out throughout the course of that entire battle, you're not going to forget you're him. You're not going to forget Clark. And then the name you're would be remembered. You're not going to forget yeah. Clark. Yeah. Yeah. And, you may, and even that brings up such a huge point in my mind because you just said what if as a dm you said and this bugbear named clog comes out well maybe half the players don't even know what a bugbear is one of my first DD groups i ever dm'd with i had a player who played an orc sat down on the table and said i don't know what an orc is yeah <laughs> and and the rest of us being huge into fantasy were like Oh boy, we got a lot of work to do with you. <laughs> yeah, I remember this player having no idea what an orc is. If I said, there's a bugbear named Clog, this guy would probably have thought, like, half bug, <laughs> half, half bear. bear. <laughs> like, praying mantis, top completely, of the body. Completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. Completely wrong. And so, that brings, that's a huge point right there is, I think we've talked about it before, but describing a monster is so much more powerful than just saying, you see a bugbear describing like the oh. hairy brutish like orc hairy orc looking creature is so much more powerful especially if you get into those details like you just said morgan with the shaved arm and yeah like uh <laughs> the purple and gold tunic details add so, so much, much to so. that in the memorable aspect and, and the great thing about it is you can then take those details and turn them into story and so later on if players come across like a, a a book, a journal of a man who's trying to use potions in his blood to turn into a fearsome creature through injections, and his room is full of these purple and gold banners. If you've done your job three or four sessions ago, they're going to join the dots. Yeah, they totally will. That being said, you don't want to do that with every single character or else your players end up getting overloaded. Exactly. I'm, I'm jumping around a bit here, but you, you mentioned replacing descriptors with, with detail. Because, again, with, with going in blind, while Cat had played for a while, Maddie uh, had not played much of anything. So I couldn't turn around and say, it's a bugbear, I had to describe it. So, so that forced my hand... But then upon doing that, I've found myself doing that more and more and more, right down to using details to sort of inform the players across a wide range of things, not just with NPCs, but even, you know, instead of saying, you walk into a small town and then give them a description of the town, you actually use the description to bring them into the town. You describe how the flow of the countryside around them changes and how tree lines recede 
and then they hear the sound of church bells ahead, all of a sudden they know that they're walking towards a town and you did not use the word town once. Yeah. I read an article one time, and I don't remember where I read it, but it said like if you're describing something, try to put in three details about it. Exactly. You know, they don't have to be massively big details, but just something a little subtle like what you talked about with the bugbear, right? That injection by the crook of his elbow and his arm is shaved. Like two things that it's like they'll remember that bugbear forever. Or even when you said you know, the, the hills are kind of rolling and you hear the, the sound of church bells. Like, I'm, I'm picturing a small farm village with some people working out in the fields and, you know, they're walking in. So it's like, if you say these, they might seem like small details, but it adds a lot to help paint that picture in people's minds instead of saying, here's this town, and they have no idea what this town actually looks like. Exactly. And I think the thought being put in your head of focusing in on details can make your story so much more profound and and interesting as well. Like I think of the Hobbit movies, which I have plenty of bad things to say about those <laughs> movies. However, thinking of details, this came to my mind. Like everybody remembers the Pale Orc mm-hmm. because one, he's the Pale Orc, so yep. he's a different shade than most orcs. He's a little bit taller, and he's missing an arm, which he always replaces with these sweet weapons. Now. How important to the story is it that that orc is pale, missing an arm, taller, and with this like sweet weapon replaced where his arm is? It's not important at all, hence why it's not in the books. <laughs> but those details are something that made that, that orc is sweet looking yeah. and scary looking and an awesome like bad guy. And without those details, he could have just been a big orc. That was just the leader. Indeed. But nobody's going to remember him as much. And so I wonder if in thinking about details, about how to detail your story, these little things could come to mind. Whereas before, you, you could have thought, oh, I need an orc leader for the good guys to beat. Well, if you start thinking about details, maybe you start to add in things that make your, your players remember him, like you said, these, these details but that adds character and adds so much more flavor to your story that without thinking about details, you wouldn't even have put into the story because as far as the story is concerned, it doesn't really change it, but it adds so much more of that memorable, descriptive features into it. Provided it's just him. Yeah. Because you mentioned The Hobbit, you mentioned the pale orc and the fact that he's the only one. Exactly. If all of a sudden every single orc in that army has their own little quirks and nifty (laughs) things played out in increasingly painful detail, you're going to get into... Cecilia Dart Thornton territory. I don't know if your players, <laughs> if your listeners are aware of Cecilia Dart Thornton. She's an Australian author. She did the the Bitterbind series. The first book, Ill Made Mute, was great. The second one was Air. The third one is just painful from beginning to end. It has one <laughs> chapter where she describes a, a leaf in excruciating detail. And then when you think it's over, she then turns and starts describing the leaves around it in excruciating detail (laughs) and then the fact that they're all on a twig and the fact that the twig is a part of a branch and then there are branches around it and then she gets to the fact that it's all attached to a tree and then there are other trees and then rope bridges and then the forest and then where the forest is in she relation like to everything else. Of Wrath fan. It took like I 50 want you to stop pages talking about to it get now. to where the player, the characters were again. 
I'm sitting there going, I want to know what's happening. Imagine just sitting down to a table and DMing and doing that oh, for your players for the first hour. No. They just leave. They would just leave. No. I think that's a good indication that you're terrible with the details because your players leave because I, of the details. I, I think they would probably <laughs> sacrifice you to some kind of dark god. Um, <laughs> that, that sounds so painful. So, so basically, you know, because details are exciting and when you find details that work for you, you go, oh, this is great. Sometimes you put details in there for the players, sometimes it's for you, just so that the world feels real and they don't have to think about it. For instance, uh, in one of our episodes, there's an ill P NPC that walks up to the players. They don't know that PC's illness. They were just like, oh, he's coughing a bit and he smells a bit funny. But I had to research very specific illnesses to figure out how he smelt and what sort yeah. of cough it would be and what his breath would be like and everything like that. So when he walked up to them, it was believable and real. They had no care in the world about it, but it just makes the story flow better and feel more realistic. That said, like with the, the pale orc, they can't all be pale. If they're all special snowflakes, all of a sudden, none of them are special. So you have right. to learn to pass it out as you build this adventure. And I think that's a great point to bring up for the next point of why details are important. They can make things distinguishable. Like, you brought up the bugbear with the purple <laughs> and gold tunic, and then later on in the campaign, you go into the wizard's tower, and there's purple and gold tunics everywhere. And you said, well, you can't do that with everybody. You can't describe the tunics with everybody, because then that bugbear with the purple and gold tunic, it's just another color in a sea of colors and another detail in a sea of details. But if it's something that is actually important to your story that will be making a connection to later on, those are the things you want to key into and distinguish in your player's mind to make them memorable and to make them go later on in the campaign. Oh, these flags on the wall, these banners are the same color. Maybe they have the same symbol as that bugbear did earlier. And whereas maybe beforehand they would have just thought that bugbear was a, just a random encounter, now they're starting to put together the dots, like you said. Yes, it's important that details exist. It's important that uh, they can be there to further the story, but they don't necessarily have to further the story at that time. A lot of people think, oh, if, if I'm giving you details now, it's because you need to notice something now and remember something now and react to something in the moment, in that session. And so much about what we use details for in a game is to make something memorable, is to make it unforgettable, so later on we can tie it into something else. So if we give you a farmer with no leg talking to you <laughs> about the orc wars and how he lost his leg because an orc ate it, and it was also funny to him because he'd lost a toe prior to that to frostbite after how eating his them? boots. They look fresh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, because farmers tend to waffle. <laughs> um, but um, and 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 that could just be a farmer chatting to the to the players as they go into this town with the church bells, and and the players go, oh, that was very exciting and interesting, and he's a bit odd, and now we'll carry on our way, thinking nothing of it. But later on, if you want, you can have the party come across a tribe of orcs, and one of them's bragging about eating a human's leg that's missing a toe, and all of a sudden, there oh, you've got not necessarily right. like with Clark central to the 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 story, but you've got role playing potential. It's yeah. not your main story. It's not what you're building. It's not what the players are actively doing. It's probably a little side thing, but all of a sudden, you've given that side thing so much more meaning. Oh yeah. Yeah, like you said, details encourage 
role playing from the players. I can't I can't even explain how many times I've like said a certain detail and sometimes it'll just be a detail that I just thought of and I'm like it's not really that important to the story, but I'll throw it out there <laughs> and the players will run with it. And it creates sometimes details create story themselves, which is awesome. Well, you did that with the uh in the last episode with with you know how I said like, "Oh, he had a bet and you lost the ship," you yes. know? Like that was just a small <laughs> thing that I was like yeah, they had a that bet. I didn't think hours I didn't think play. you guys were going to do anything with it. I didn't have anything planned for it. Yeah. But it was something I was like, oh, there was a squabble between these two guys. You decided to intervene on the guy that actually won, but got screwed over yeah. and yeah. went for hours upon hours with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you describe certain sights, smells, the feeling of certain things, and like if you describe those things, it's giving the players little things to allow them to get more immersed in your world figure out things about your world, your story, and gives them role-playing opportunities. And that is always something that we as DMs encourage you as DMs to do. Indeed. And, and there is this one fantastic thing that I just you sort of, I naturally did as a dungeon master that then somebody else put a name to. And, and the moment I read the name, I, I realized what they were saying. And I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's it exactly. And the name was, um, was and I'm going to, don't butcher it, it was Schrodinger's <laughs> Gun. Oh um, yeah, combining the idea of Schrodinger's cat with the um, theatrical idea of Chekhov's gun, hmm. and it basically it means that you can put out and you can do this with story design, you can do this with details, you can do this with so many different things, but you can throw out several different interesting threads of an idea or a story or a detail, and you don't know which one the players are going to pick up on, but whichever one they do, that's now the one that's central to whatever's now going to happen. Yep. So prior to that, all of those story ideas had that potential to continue through that thing. But until they gravitated towards one, they were all sort of in Schrodinger's uh, box, as it were, until the players chose where they were going and what they were drawing themselves towards. So if you throw those three details out there about Clark or about those orcs and the players pay no attention to it, well, that's fine. Then you're not going to do anything later on. Or if you do and they pay no attention again, you go, well, we're not going in that direction. <laughs> but if they gravitate towards it and gravitate again, you know you're onto something and you follow it where it leads. Yeah, so those, those are all some really important points of why we believe that details in a story in a D&D campaign are really important. And as DMs, we need to constantly be thinking about these things and learning as DMs where we put them in and where we don't, like describing all the leaves on a tree. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no. With these details, we want to focus in a little bit more and talk about details in what I like to call the six senses of Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> and so the six senses that we have are obviously sight, sound smell touch taste but we also have feel and we'll we'll describe how that's different from touch when we get to that but we'd like to just key in right now and talk about these senses and how you as a dm can take each of these senses and use details in your stories to make your stories memorable distinguishable and to give your players role-playing opportunities as their player characters. So first, let's talk about sight, the appearance of certain things, whether it's a town, whether it's monsters, whether it's NPCs. The way that things appear is something that, as a dungeon master, we should, like we said at the beginning of the episode, in our minds we might see it, but we need to be able to 
tell those details out to the people at our table. So what are some ways that we can do that better? What are some things that maybe as DMs we want to focus in on and some things that are either NPCs or monsters or, or towns and cities that are things that could just bring those things to life that can make them pop and be memorable, distinguishable, and encourage role-playing? Wow, that's not a tiny question at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if we're going with sight, the first thing is probably, as, as we, we gravitated towards it ourselves as the first thing, that we thought of is appearance, whether it's the appearance of the NPCs or the appearance of a place. We all have memories and, and feelings. And if you want to evoke those feelings, you want to be able to lead players to an idea of a place. I mean, my players, if I said, you're standing in a dwarven hall, they'd have no idea what I'm talking about and yeah. would probably just start pegging dice at me. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But if you start describing the way the arch sits or, or the, the way the light is refracting off things, mm -hmm. and if you have players who, who know what things look like, it was quite fantastic. Uh, we actually uh, we had a fellow in who just did a, a sort of a dungeon delve with us that hasn't aired yet. Shh, secret, secret, secret. <laughs> but he came in and did the dungeon delve, and just through having read all the books and the the Dungeon Master's Guide and things like that, he was able to very quickly tell where we were just based on some of the descriptions I threw out. And he went, oh, I know exactly where we are. It's important. It's so important that um, I didn't just turn around and say, you're here. Yeah. Because right. two of my three players at that point would have gone, that doesn't mean anything to us. And the third one would have <laughs> gone, great, I know exactly what we're doing. But the fact that I just, you know, using description, using images that, that, players are potentially aware of and certainly if you know they've read the books or they they know the world a bit more you can play with this and toy with them by giving <laughs> them these ideas and having them go oh oh maybe it's the underduck oh perhaps it's this place oh yes. no i know where i am and coming to that realization part way through a session yeah i think that's a great point too because when you come into a place for the first time that's the point that you really want to give descriptions mm -hmm. that or you come back to a place or you meet a person or you encounter a monster and something has changed then you also give descriptions and details for that uh, you don't need to give descriptions for the town that the players have gone to a hundred times like over and over again unless something changes you don't need to describe in details the look of an orc npc that your players have become close friends with and like after that those first descriptions of those places like and people and things and monsters like you don't need to cue in on that but those first times or those times that things change absolutely that's when you want to jump in and describe that appearance of those things especially because the players might actually miss yeah. it even with yep. those descriptions you know you you could end up in a, in a fantastic situation where you kind of reference it but if, if you just say something outright you're not able to obfuscate. You're not able to hide it a little bit. But if you're using descriptions, you're able to sort of put in these fun little situations where I'm actually going to jump a little bit ahead here to um, just talking about uh, certain sort of characteristics of, of people. Um, like, for instance, a, a lost body part. If somebody's got a finger missing and you point it out, 
and you go, oh, when they're missing their finger, you know, and it's sort of the ring finger, everyone goes, oh, we, we know Assassin's Creed. We know what they are. <laughs> they're assassins. Great. Done. But if, you, if, if you've got a whole town of people missing that finger, um, all of a sudden something odd is happening. And you could say it. You could just straight out say, you walk into the town and everyone's missing that finger. And everyone straight away goes, oh, that's an odd mystery. But if you've got them focusing on something else entirely, and all of a sudden you just start throwing in these little details in dribs and drabs, saying, you know, the barman's carrying a plate of meat pies, and the other hand has, a, you know, mugs dangling off of each digit, and he puts them down in front of everyone except for Gary, um, and he has to go back and get the last drink. You haven't said he's only got four fingers, but they could potentially infer it. And then later on, if a librarian has a bit of an issue opening a book or two people, a husband and wife, and you see no signs of that because there's no ring finger, there's no ring, you just slowly start peppering in these little details that are actually giant screaming clues and <laughs> no one knows they're there. Yeah. So you can use that to sort of slowly build and drive a mystery so that if the players finally come across that, they go, oh my God, wow. Or alternatively, you say it at the start and that kicks off story. Like we said before, you can you can use details in so many ways. Oh, yeah. And the things you were bringing up, too, I think one of the things that is so crucial and so key there is those kind of things, whether you're blatant about those details, like this whole town, everybody's missing a finger. Or if you <laughs> kind of lead up and there's a mystery that your players have to kind of pick out those clues, the eventual end of that detail is it begs the question how or why <laughs> like why is it like this how did this happen a everybody when they see nick fury in the movies or in the comics wants to know why? how did you lose that eye yep. <laughs> like without how? a missing eye like there's not as much of a story that's mysterious about nick fury well that's the first thing if you're if you like because I've talked with people about the Avengers before, and they were like, I was talking to them about Nick Fury. They're like, which one's Nick Fury again? I was like, it's the one with the missing eye. They're the like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember who Nick Fury is. Yeah. yeah. And it, so it begs this question of how and why, which I think is, once again, it makes those things memorable, distinguishable, and there is your role-playing opportunities encouraged. Because I've never seen it where I've thrown something out there like that that begs that question, and the players don't want to figure out from that point how and why this is. Yep. Oh, they, they love a mystery. Yeah. And they want to know. They, they're they not okay with not <laughs> knowing. And when you give them those mysteries that you're like, I'm not going to tell you right now, it just drives them crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you don't give them something by the end of the session, it doesn't have to be the big answer, yeah. but something, they will pull you aside and say, okay, you have to tell me yeah. now. I'm like, no, no, you'll find out next week. They're like, no, you will tell me now. <laughs> I won't tell the other players. <laughs> I just do this thing with mystery where I just come to my own conclusions. And like I tell Mitch, I'm just like, yep, Wesley's evil. And that's my conclusion. I'm like, I don't care whether the mystery is that or not. Which is it's great. Just, because... that's, the, that's the conclusion I've come to. <laughs> Which is great because your, your characters develop that. And it just helps you steep into the, your, your players yeah. a little bit. Or yeah. your characters a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, things that, things that can beg these questions of how and why. They can be stuff like we mentioned, like Nick Fury and the Pale Orc and these like lost body parts definitely ask that question. Like when people, when you throw a character in an NPC, a monster with some sort of lost body part, it asks that question. Why I'm going to bring it back to the Hobbit. Once again, the third Hobbit, <laughs> that troll at the end. So with, ridiculous. Which is, oh, so dumb, which he had was missing all of his limbs. 
and so he had like what, like two. He peg had two legs, pegs for legs, and he a had mace. Like two, yeah, two like chained maces or flails, whatever they're called, as arms. I'm just like, how did that happen? <laughs> like, how in the world? Who did... thought that was a good yeah. idea? <laughs> what is this thing? Can't just capture another one. Like, you just gotta reuse the. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is like not Peter Jackson anymore. This is Zack Snyder with his like weird creatures from. <laughs> 300 but but <laughs> it definitely begs that question of how and why that is mutations and unnatural physical appearances those beg those questions certain types of architecture begs that question why was this made this way i remember i think the lone like wizard's tower that's either yeah. still out in the middle somewhere or is crumbling begs that question of yeah. like i wonder what's over there we played tomb of horrors a couple weeks back and that are, begs no questions when you're going three, through it. <laughs> there are three entrances, and that's the first thing you hit. <laughs> and right away in your mind, you ask, you're like asking, why are there three entrances? And most players go, because two of those are probably going to kill us. <laughs> and yep. that's what they're made yeah. for. So At that point, you quote Gandalf, and he's like, I do not remember this. Yeah, right. <laughs> we should sit and ponder it for a while. But, but in that sense, you <laughs> grab Gandalf by, by the shoulders and go, you better remember this. <laughs> this is life and death. <laughs> you mentioned uh, mutations and, and unnatural physical appearances yeah. earlier. And I was thinking that can, that can also uh, not necessarily just apply to begging the question and trying to figure out how or why, but it can also apply to things as, as far-reaching as as far-reaching as combat <laughs> so far-reaching um because if, if you're squaring off against a warrior in front of you and and he's got a heavy dilated left pupil yeah. and then you don't tell the players anymore and you just leave that as a bit of description what that means is he has had an accident at some point and is quite blind in that eye yeah. you know like david bowie with so you'll do better in the fight if you attack him from that side yeah tactical advantages or is that eye some sort of magical eye that's going to be even worse it's like yeah it it has that question in combat as well like mad eye moody exactly. does he all of a sudden it's oh is it a beholder's eye oh, that he's put in there that would be awesome <laughs> yep <laughs> and then you really need to pull out those descriptions yes. really quickly in those details so someone can turn around and go oh i know what that eye is and nobody go near him <laughs> you see like he didn't put it in there that well, so like coming out of the corner of his eye is like one of the eye stalks just hanging down. <laughs> it could be really gross. <laughs> That's a great, great point. Like it comes into like battle and tactics, and it's always good to change. I think it's always good to change up battle in that sense of not just having it be drop down the pieces, the minis, drop down the minis, and just go at it. But like giving your players things to think about tactically too, and though that's definitely an instance where you can have that happen. I mean, like architecture begs that question. Like I remember going to California for the first time and like seeing the different kind of roofs that they had. Yeah. And I was like, well, why? It's cool looking, but why is that? And I got the answer of, well, it's it's too hot here <laughs> to have regular roofs. Like yeah, we will but... have house fires all the times so if we had the roofs that you have out in Michigan. <laughs> like, yep. So, like, architecture begs questions in-game that it's like, why is that built that way, and why is that built that way? Also, unnatural geographical locations that you're, you come across a place and you're like, this is not something I've seen before. How did this happen this way? Even if it's a natural geographical location, like the Grand Canyon, like, you see that, and you start to wonder how, why, and when did this 
become yeah. like this. Yes, and, and, and part of that c as well can, can lead back into things like NPCs in those locations having lore and interesting things attached to stuff where the players come in and go, it's a bunch of rocks, and they go, no, it's a face on Mars. <laughs> No, yeah. it's a bunch of rocks. You're all idiots. <laughs> and uh, having them come in and be strangers in this thing where the lore is already set in place because of these strange geographical anomalies and playing off that sort of folklore aspect and uh, and tying it in that way. So I think something that you know I I generally tend to rely on more than anything is sound. Mm -hmm. um, I think for for sound we you know. Sound is a big part as far as like what does an NPC sound like? Like I know I know Mitch, you use a lot more voices than I do, and some I of the voices, voices. That, that you've used, I still have stuck in my head for some <laughs> of the NPCs. You know, uh, I don't necessarily do as many voices, but like when we last left off on my campaign, I left you with a little bit of a cliffhanger. Oh I yeah, said, that definitely uh, had to do with sound. Yeah, that definitely had to do with sound. You guys came up against these dragon spawn, and you guys will hear about it in a later story time. But it was like you heard this noise walking into this room where you fought some of these dragon spawn. You heard that noise, and then down the hallway, you heard this noise of like hundreds of them, and that's where we <laughs> left off for the night. Yeah, and so it was like it was this way of like creating a little bit of that mystery with with sound, which I think is something that we all rely on pretty heavily and can make some pretty distinct things that make them memorable and distinguishable yeah, as we go forward. Yeah, you can forward. paint a picture in your player's mind with sound to let them know what is there or what to expect without even describing anything. Also, with sound, you can paint a picture in your player's mind to let them know what they think is to be expected, Right. but that sound could be something completely different, and it's that plot twist like, guess what, it's not that, it's <laughs> when you reveal it. Yes, and of course it breaks down into multiple areas, but, but two main ones, which is sounds that you make and sounds that you describe. Because I know with voices you were talking about earlier, certainly most of the voices that I end up doing are either West Country or I slip back into where I was born, which is Northern Ireland of all places, which is a very fun accent to end up in in the middle of a campaign. <laughs> um, and uh, or, or I sort of try and do Mrs. Doubtfire and fail. Uh, so I, while I'm not very Hello. good at, uh, at doing voices, <laughs> when um, Madame Rosine first introduced herself to the players, it was, oh, hello. And it's like, no, never again, <laughs> never again. Do not do that. Never. Uh, but the other one, <laughs> but the other way, of course, is is in describing sounds. You can you can describe the sounds that are happening. You you can tell the players the way. Also, the way the sound moves around a space helps define that yeah. space. Again, that's where a lot of prep comes in and knowing what those rooms are going to be like and how the sound will affect them. But also, because of course, as we know, you can have all the preparation in the world and the players will jump out of a window <laughs> and, uh, and destroy all of the preparation. So uh, being able to take things like the expectation of, as you were saying, approaching sounds and having players try to figure out how far away something is or how big it is based on the sound and helping them do that through your describing of those sounds. And that's one thing that I've had to get very good at because, of course, with vision-impaired players, they know sound really well. 
Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, they don't necessarily know descriptions of things well. So I can describe a bugbear as much as I want. And they can sit there going, I'm fairly certain I know pretty much what that is. But if I start talking about the sound of a bugbear, the sound its growl makes, you know, saying, oh, it sounds like your guide dog, but slightly lower pitched and with this real sort of guttural sound and you start painting that picture they're much more sort of able to go, yes, I know how terrifying this thing is. Yeah, and I think, too, you said earlier, like, how does it sound in a room? I think that's something that yeah. I don't think I've ever really thought of because where my players are now is in an ice cavern, and the noise that that thing made would be a much different noise if it was out in an open area. Would it be the same noise, or would it disperse so much that it wasn't as loud? You know, I... That was something, does it feel like the sound is just enveloping you? Does it feel like it's coming from all directions because you're in a cavern? Like, that stuff can change how people approach the enemy that's going to be coming. Well, and sound can be warped due to, Morgan, you said, like, where they are. And in a dungeon, you could hear a sound that's been echoed down these long tunnels. And it could be super far away, but sound like it's right upon you. And, like, that paranoia can either go away because you realize, oh, this thing is far away. And so you could even, your players might become comfortable with this sound. And then it jumps on them finally. And they're like, oh, no, we weren't prepared. Yeah, right. Or that paranoia can just set in and stay with the players the throughout the entire dungeon. You also have to think about in the Dungeons & Dragons campaign, you, there's magic. And so how does magic like affect like different sounds and things like that? And like it can, sound can be warped. Sound can be silenced. Like magic can affect sounds to appear as if they are different than they normally would be. And also sounds get changed by different consistencies of things. If, I, if you're shouting just in air, it's one thing. But if you're shouting in water, if you're underwater, because uh, the last creation and inspiration episode, you had... Um, the rising water in in the bottom of a uh, of a pirate ship. Yes, and I just thought, yep. you know, if you're trying to communicate with other players on the other side of a door that you can't get through, and it's open just a small crack, you're having to dive down and shout through the water through moving rushing water. Yeah, the way that sound travels and moves and warps and what they hear in almost a Chinese whispers type fashion could be completely different from what you say because you're saying open the door and they're hearing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we, we talked about that on actually our previous episode with Richard Howard. He came back to talk about aquatic campaigns again, and he told us that sound travels four times as fast underwater than it does for us, which is crazy because yes, yes, there you does. go. Yeah, Thinking about sound again. Yeah, unless it's used, unless it's an air, yeah. air-based sound, yeah. then it then yeah. it gets really So, yeah, all, the sound is, sound is crazy, and sound is huge when uh, describing things, and it can make the players either completely visualize what exactly is there or, like we said, with magic or with distortions to sound, can completely paint a different image in their mind. Oh, yes, with, with making uh, the sound of a dragon happen and going oh there's a dragon over there and it's a complete illusion yeah <laughs> and you don't even have to have a, a visual illusion it's just the sound of a dragon <laughs> scare the orcs out or you go into this dungeon and i love this idea of the distortion of sound but you hear from the beginning of this dungeon that that echoed sound throughout the and you're like oh my gosh there's a dragon in here because you just hear roaring 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 dragon sounds <laughs> and you finally make it down this tunnel these this dungeon and there's a little baby dragon just like in its nest <laughs> like like just 
squawking out, and you're like, but because of the reverberations oh. from the walls, <laughs> and then your then your party has a baby dragon, <laughs> or maybe then a big giant mother dragon pops out, and you were actually hearing it. But sound, yeah, sound can be deceiving. Sound can sound is a perfect detail to add in your campaign to add details into your story. Yes, thinking you're going to be attacked by wild wolves and they're just chihuahuas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe then it, the flip side is that those chihuahuas are like the little dinosaurs in Lost World. <laughs> oh my gosh, those things would be awful. Vampiric. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. They vampiric just chihuahuas. That sounds terrible. <laughs> chihuahuas are vampiric to begin with. Sounds they're <laughs> evil. Uh, yeah, so like like you said, Morgan, there's there's sounds that you make, which I as a DM always highly encourage DMs to just get past that like oh, I don't want to look silly like and just jump into it because the players will even if they're laughing with you they'll or leave laughing at you they'll appreciate it and and sounds that you describe but there's also another way that you could if you want if you don't want to make them but you don't want to describe them you can look up sounds on the internet and try and find sounds that match the sounds that you're going to have it's harder with that to improvise like you're not gonna like i would say shy away from like oh we have an improvised fight with orcs i have to take five minutes and find orc sounds so don't don't do that don't pause the game and do that kind of, but if you have like planned things and you want to find these sounds like that's that's a perfect thing you could do as well we i guess we're doing a little shout out here but battle bards is fantastic for that and also you could check out the sirenscape game sounds like they are all di sweet places that you can find these awesome sounds that you can use in your campaigns for moments where you don't want to be like morgan going rah, 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 when you because you think <laughs> ah that's not me you can find somebody else who's recorded themselves going rah, 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 and play that <laughs> for your players so that's that's another way you can use sound that performance anxiety thing is always um it's so it's not silly's the wrong word because that's demeaning and mean and, and <laughs> And I, I apologize to anyone who who, who, who feels that way. But uh, certainly, uh, if you watch, a, say, a choir singing, and there's always that one guy at the back that just doesn't really, everyone's doing the dancey clap, dancey clap, and he's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it half-heartedly. He sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, yep. if, if you <laughs> are willing to jump down that whole, if you sacrifice yourself on the altar of being a fool and making the sound effects, it encourages the players to to join you and to do it and to have fun you know absolutely um, i started doing accents in our game and all of a sudden cat and maddie found themselves doing accents very quickly sort of it was like wait that's not the accent of your character you're now just doing my accent <laughs> i need to stop and backpedal we used to have a player that did that all the time he just like mimic one <laughs> accident the voice the accents of the other players rather than doing his own <laughs> Yeah, if you if you can bring yourself to do something like that, and um, if you can't, you you go the the route. But also uh, talking about those sounds like battle bards and and sirenscape and battle bards. Every now and again, I tweet at them and just say, "You've done it again," because they have a they have a sound of a dwarven temple that I just cannot stop listening to. Yeah. <laughs> just the chanting is fantastic. Um, and if anyone hasn't listened to it, uh, go and find it and listen to it. It's on their Kickstarter and and uh, and SoundCloud, and it's it, they have a brilliant library of sounds you can use uh those sounds to help in the same way that we were you know saying you use the way sound bounces off a room to build that immersion build that belief in the reality of that room you can also do it with these physical actual sounds you play this sound of these dwarves chanting in this big cathedral the players will feel like they're in a big cathedral and not in some mess hall somewhere exactly
So another another sense that you can describe as the dungeon master is smell. A smell is something that I think we all too often forget about. Oh, However, yeah. I think in Dungeons and Dragons especially, smells would be coming at you like crazy, whether it's it's creatures. A troll smells like roses. No one has ever said <laughs> ever. <laughs> whether it's creatures, whether it's characters. I mean, let's let's be honest. Like the majority of D and D characters are adventurers who probably in their adventures don't have that much time to bathe. <laughs> I mean, hygiene in the D and D world is probably a lot less <laughs> than it is in our own modern world today day in general and so everybody probably smells a little bit except maybe the king (laughs) who is probably still not taking as many baths but he's been hit by a lot of perfumes and different kinds of smells i was gonna say maybe you don't describe how badly everybody smells but you you describe how great somebody smells when they walk in he doesn't smell as gross as everybody else does (laughs) yeah you go into like dungeons and they're going to smell moldy and ro- like of rotten flesh and monsters. Temples will smell of incense and sacrifices, perhaps, depending on what temple you go into. And even in that sense, like if you're in a moldy, smelly, rotten, fleshy dungeon and you finally get out of it, especially if it's a mega dungeon and you're so used to that, how much does that fresh air and flowers and the smell of rain like hit you as like, oh, thank you. I can breathe again, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like all of these things, smell can be such a huge, huge way to describe the feeling of a a place that you're in or a, a NPC or a creature. Yes, and it can be used to pull you into a place or to transition to somewhere else or uh, to deal with a person. Uh, or even if, if you know your players are misbehaving, you can be a cheeky DM and uh, <laughs> they can walk into a town and you go, everyone just gives you a wide berth and they'll go, why? And eventually they roll high enough and you go, it's because you smell like poop. They go, why do you smell like poop? I'm like, because you didn't take any toilet breaks in character for nine years. For nine years. Pooping in your pants. <laughs> They're like, no, we just assumed that was not. You're like, nope, you never said it. So there. By the way, you better check check your weight again because I'm pretty sure you're at heavy load. <laughs> there was like, I think like for Morgan, there was like the, I get the joke, and then there was, oh my gosh, I get the second layer of the joke there. <laughs> or the third layer, fourth layer. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but, God. of course, it can also it can tell you a lot about someone as well. Like you said, if the king walks into a room, he's going to have that smell of dirt, but it's going to be sort of covered with also that smell of those older style of doing those scrape baths that they used yeah. to do where you uh, sort of just get a little basin and you'd put some lather on your body and then literally just scrape the dirt off mm-hmm. and then perfume themselves to disguise the smell of rotten decay but you can also use it as a story device so if you've got someone say dressed in rags but one of your characters is able to if they've they've naturally got heightened senses and they can smell that while there are rags there and there is dirt you know and there is a bit of a smell of someone that's been out in the sun it's all superficial and underneath that they can smell soap or perfume that wasn't quite washed off their body before they've disguised themselves all of a sudden this npc has a whole other layer that you can potentially discover yeah or if they smell of disease or the possibility of disease you can find out exactly 
what sort of disease that is based on how it smells. It can lead to these story hooks as well, just through smell, just through these details. I think with smell too, I, with any of these senses really, it can it can shift the way that your players are thinking quite a bit. You know, I'm thinking in my head right now, your players have been out traveling for a long time. They've been catching squirrels or whatever it is <laughs> to try and eat for the longest period of time. They walk into an inn for the first time and you start describing the smell of freshly cooked bread. Yeah or turkey roasting over a fire or you know some type of soup and instantly everybody's mind is yeah right everybody instantly everybody's mind is thinking like oh i remember the time i walked into my grandmother's house and thought you know i smell this turkey being cooked or i smell this bread being baked and it's like your players can then all of a sudden just be like this feels like home this is a this is (laughs) 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 this is quite a great change from what we've been grueling throughout in the yeah. wild for the longest time yeah yeah and 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 once again throws in that role-playing opportunity because you you describe the smell of that roasted pheasant and usually there's one player that's gonna go i'm gonna go talk to the barkeep and get yeah. myself a roasted pheasant yeah because and that then, smells and delicious that might even right now be a way to quote-unquote railroad your players to an npc like the bartender who has a journey, a mission for them that normally they, unless you said, you should go talk to the bartender. Like you can do that way of dropping things in there. And then it was the player's idea to go and talk to that bartender. So it works out (laughs) perfectly for you. Even like I thought of smells as you brought up with appearance before Morgan, adding different layers to combat, because if you're in a dungeon that smells awful, your players might need to roll fortitude checks every encounter because they are very close to being nauseated and might be and nauseated makes battles terrible like mm-hmm. it, so much so maybe it's a monster like that troll that smells disgusting or undead undead do not smell good i'm fairly certain maybe you need <laughs> to roll that fortitude check every time you're fighting undead because they smell awful on the other side of it if you meet a beautiful woman in town with your players or a beautiful man, whatever it is, and they have like perfume or something on that makes them so attractive. At maybe give them a boost to their flirtation checks, their dis- their diplomacy, whatever it is that you use against some of your players, uh, or give them a negative because they're just like, oh, this girl smells so good. <laughs> 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 Smell can be that kind of like that tactical advantage in diplomacy, in battle, both of those things. But also in, in places that uh, that may not be familiar to the players. Uh, for instance, uh, and it, you can tie this back into their backstory because players always love it when you give meaning yeah. to their backstory because they go, I made up that bit. Oh, you're so <laughs> kind. And you go, yes, I am. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. I love doing it. And it's so much fun when they come up with things. But if, you, oh, yeah. if you've got a party made up mostly of city dwellers, and they're wandering around and you wouldn't tell them anything but that one member of the party let's call him nick who came from a small (laughs) farming village you know and and he came from a farm and he joined the group on their adventure when they were out in the wilderness his nostrils when they go to the city will be assaulted by all these smells and you know the sounds and all the rest of it insights that he just he is not able to cope with because they're foreign to him mm-hmm. uh, conversely if they're out in a small village uh, and they have to try and find someone or something 
or they're approaching a village and you've got everyone else just wandering around going, oh, it smells like cow pats. <laughs> Nick's going to be the one. He'll be able to filter out that smell and he can smell the charcoal, the burning yeah. village on the horizon. And so you can use those smells to help define the player's characters as well, not just NPCs. And, you know, possibly wend it into their backstory where they're used to, the kinds of places they've been or seen. Yeah. For instance, if you're in that cavern with all those undead and you're rolling uh, against them and you're rolling the fortitude, rolling the fortitude, there would probably, if you're down there for a while, there would be a point where you would just get used to it and that fortitude check would go away. Or it gets, yeah, it gets lower and lower. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or it gets lower and lower the DC check to make it and stuff like that because you're, yeah, exactly, you get more used to it. And I love what Morgan just did there with description everybody that just heard nick again they were like oh nick <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh, and so he did it he placed it about 40 minutes ago in the podcast hashtag and uh, nick. <laughs> i don't know how you spell that but <laughs> get it going listeners get it going <laughs> yeah and and like you said it can bring out certain characters i don't know uh if 5e has it but i know 3.5 like a racial feat that some characters can get is sent depending on their race and, like, it gives you this bonus of, like, obviously, most people in a D&D world can smell, but certain races are going to have, like, like a, a dog folk is going to have a way better sense of smell and be able to track things. And maybe that helps them with tracking and survival and things like that. I remember I played a, a bear folk in one of my friend's campaigns, and I had this scent trait, and I never came upon a part that it was, like, I could use it because they were not focused ah. on smell at all. And honestly, I don't think a lot of DMs think about that kind of thing. And that's why we're throwing it out here. But if, if you have a player who is playing a character with that kind of a racial trait, be prepared to use some smell somewhere. Throw them a bone every now and then. And I'm not just <laughs> saying that because it might be a dog vote. But like, like yeah, <laughs> like scent can be a really important thing. Smell can be a detail that adds a lot of, lot of characteristic to your game. And in the same way that, that sound was sort of moving and you had to be aware of the way sound functioned in spaces, being aware of, of the way smell works as well, because it's not just smell. I mean, if anyone's ever smelt a really bad smell, like really bad, you walk into the room and it's terrible. Yeah. It doesn't just, I'm sure other people have, I'm not just a crazy person that does this. <laughs> you run out of the room and you go, oh, it's so bad, I could taste it yeah, in my tongue. exactly. You know, so if there's a really bad smell, you start merging the senses and mixing things together. You know, if you say that you can taste a smell, they know it's potent. Yeah, and I think that brings us to our next one. We'll just transition right into that taste. Like if a smell, like you said, is so bad, some people can taste it. What happens if you actually taste that smell? <laughs> You know, like what, what it can make for a very interesting moment at that point in time. But I mean, even when you think of just taste in general, it's something that we all constantly do. Like when I say, if you know, like I have, I have a Coke from McDonald's. When I say like that, people instantly think of the taste of what Coke tastes like. So yeah, I think, I think there's things that we don't normally think about as far as taste. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily you need to say like this pheasant tastes like pheasant and describe what pheasant tastes like. <laughs> But if you say, like, there's something weird in this pheasant that doesn't taste like pheasant, and it could be somebody's trying to poison your characters or something like that, and you taste a difference, they're going to stop and think, like, I don't know if I should eat the rest of this. Because if I eat the rest of this, 
something bad might happen to me. Something is weird about this. Like that's what we do when we're at a restaurant. Something tastes different than what we normally expect it to taste like. We're like, I think there's something wrong with this food. Or when you say like for the first time, how many times do we not explain what potions taste like? Mm -hmm. Like Like what, what does this (laughs) potion taste like that you drink? Does it taste like cinnamon? Yeah. Does it taste taste like like burning? Well, cause I know, know, I know I'm not weird and I don't like drinking. Like (laughs) I hate liquid medicine and that oh, is, that it, could yeah. very well be what these potions taste like like <laughs> like i i even think that would be funny to go into a potion shop and have oh what health potion samplings would you like? <laughs> cherry would you like our cherry flavored health potions would you like our bubble gum and like anything i'd just be like just give me whatever it is because they all taste terrible <laughs> this, is, this is a health potion and this is new health <laughs> yeah. yeah right there's like places that have like wine tastings up in northern yeah. michigan here it's like what happens if a shopkeeper's like you're swimming the like health yeah he's like he's like come and have some of my potion tasting and people are like walking around afterwards like with all these weird things happening to him when you've got things like potions and the taste of potions instead of having a situation where a player gets handed a potion and is told this is a health potion and then they drink it and the person goes haha it's a poison you have them be poisoned earlier on or you have them sort of interact with this poison in a way whether it's taste or whether it's smell or whatever it is and so when they get the health potion and they're about to put it to their lips they might catch a whiff of a whiff of that or they'll taste a bit of it and they'll get that taste on their tongue and they'll go hang on this does not taste like a health potion this tastes like that other thing and you give them that instead of just waiting for a second and then going haha here is a fact you give them that tactile sense of, of what's going on. Yes, yeah, so I think too, like, you know, you taste the, you, know, you said like you can taste it in the air type thing. I think that's something that we don't normally think about. And if I said, you know, in a restaurant, if it's something that tastes bad, do you have them, if they're cooking something out on the open road, do you have them have to roll like a cooking check or something like that yeah, to make sure it's cooked all we the way do through? The, we do this and you guys have, like, it was just something that one day I think somebody was like, oh, I'm, I got I'm going to go hunting and get some food because we're we need food because yeah, we're on I did this that, long yeah. track. I don't remember what it was that you caught and killed. Elk, I think, or something. Uh, yeah, like that. and you brought it back. Like you woke up early, cooked it, woke the rest of your party up, and you were just like, "Do I do I cook it well?" And I was like, uh, "I don't know. There's no cooking skill that you have, uh, which it could be a profession skill in some older editions." So I was just like, <laughs> "Roll a d20 and add whatever you think it is, depending on how good you were at cooking." And it was so funny because that that just kind of started it. And you guys love focusing in on that. Like you're always like, "Do I cook it well? Let's let's roll. Yeah. Let's roll." We haven't done that for a while, <laughs> but yeah, that was something that we did for probably three or four weeks in a row. It was like, "Did I cook it well?" But that's something you could just throw in there to like just be a fun. There's your role playing. Just you can have a lot lot of fun with something mundane. That sometimes the mundane is overlooked so much that if you bring it to the forefront of the game it can be like hey i'm having fun with this yeah (laughs) speaking of uh, cooking and out on the open road i know that one thing that i did bring to a a past game that i had was in my misspent youth i spent a a, the folly of my youth i I spent a, a year traveling around the victorian high country because Nothing says I want to live indoors like traveling around outside for a year. But during that time, you'd go on these sort of extended multiple day hikes and you'd take all of your food with you in your pack and you'd put it together and you'd be drinking from streams and putting tang in there. And (laughs) at about sort of day five or six, you'd run out of most of the food. So you start putting together these weird concoctions. And because you're out in the middle of nowhere, 
I don't know what it was, but it always tasted amazing. Yeah, yeah. true. And you'd end up sitting there and you're like, we put the, the milk in the thing and the powdered this stuff and it's brilliant. We're going to try this when we get back to civilization. <laughs> and then you'd get back to civilization and you'd try it and it would be disgusting. <laughs> so for one of the, for one of the, the parties, sort of, they decided on a favorite food while they were out camping and I decided to sort of bring this into it where they had this favorite food while they were out camping and then they tried it when they got back to town and it was terrible and they're like wait what why is it terrible is it poisoned have, have <laughs> we have our taste buds changed have we been swapped with each other what's going on and they were busy trying to figure it out and all it was was that they'd been out for too long and gotten back and gotten some good sleep and some real yeah, food right. and then tried it yeah my i then of course at the end of the game had to explain what was going on because i'm like no it's a real thing it happened you're not all you haven't been poisoned you're fine because they panicked but bringing in <laughs> things like that bringing in what became such a fantastic role-playing element just from even just from thinking about these kind of details from your life or from wherever and incorporating them into the game through through these sorts of things we mentioned like being in a in a mega dungeon and finally getting out and getting hit with that fresh air and that smell being like oh it's never smelled so good the same thing like you're saying when, when you return to that tavern and nor that normal roasted pheasant that you have all the time it's like I have never had roast pheasant this well, barkeep. You've made it. You've done it this time. This is the best roasted pheasant yeah. I've ever had in my life. But then you come back the next day and it's like, nah, it's just mediocre because my taste buds are <laughs> yeah. back to the Can same Can you do again. it the way you did before? <laughs> I did it the same way. And one more thing with taste is we've been talking a lot about sort of the role-playing side of things and being out in the countryside. Um, one thing that I thought of was, um, you know, just again to help with that immersion, to help with building that world is something simple like, you know, after a player getting punched or getting a mace to the face, which, um, <laughs> of course, leads to, to details about... Taste of blood and everything. Yeah. Exactly, the taste of copper in your mm -hmm. mouth from blood. Or if you're not human, what would your blood taste like? And bringing in that kind of element, whether it's a stronger copper if you're a dwarf because you've got more metals in you because dwarf and metal, or whether it's something else. And that also brings in details about where players are hit and how that feels when they're, when they're hit, bringing in those details as well. I've described as the DM a lot of times, especially with crit hits, like you chop open the stomach of that troll and you're sprayed with blood in the face. But I don't think I've ever been like, and that blood tastes disgusting. And like even with the smell thing, like, well, if you get hit with like blood of a troll, that's disgusting tasting, I would imagine. Maybe that's time you roll a fortitude check. Yeah, right. And that and honestly, I wouldn't do that on a crit hit because that's like, well done, here's some punishment. But like but like you <laughs> could use that in a sense. And like maybe if that was the last enemy, like you can just do it for story, like roll a fortitude's check. Oh, you you killed that thing right off the bat, but now you're puking in a corner because you got so much of its blood in your mouth and it's disgusting you cut him open and blood sprayed everyone else and missed yeah you. right yeah. <laughs> everyone else roll up for a two jag <laughs> how to make friends in d, in d yeah right, right i think too like when you when you describe the blood going in someone's mouth off of a crit hit like you're not only thinking about that maybe you don't have to describe that but you can describe like what it feels like when it touches you yeah. too like you can say like you feel this warm liquid that hits your face and it's like is a troll's body temperature hotter than normal like what you know does it does it feel like it's super super warm you know so you can you can start to say like this is what it feels like when you touch it or this is what it feels like when it touched you but that brings up other interesting things when you like i know 
monks do a lot of grappling. So if they grapple a lizard or they grapple some type of creature, what does that feel like? Do you feel the scales of it? Like if somebody for some reason, you know, if, if we decided to all go and do aquatic campaigns, Rich Howard would be absolutely ecstatic about this. But what happens when you grapple a shark? Yeah. Like, what does that feel like? I mean, does it feel like... And where do you grab yeah, it? Yeah, right, right, right. Do you, yeah, you don't grab it right by the mouth because that thing will destroy you. Uh, but so Hook it feel, with your finger. Just Yeah, right. But does it feel slimy? Is it coarse? Does it, is it spiky? Is yeah. it sticky? You know, like I had with Kruor recently where he tried to, you know, search touch the mimic. A, a touch a mimic. Yeah. He didn't know he didn't it was know a mimic, a mimic yep. but he was checking the... But immediately the, you knew that that treasure chest did not feel right. It did not feel right. It felt very sticky <laughs> and my hand stuck to it. And so, you know, describing those types of things are very, very important for your characters because you, maybe you don't describe everything. Like I could describe right now, I'm touching felt on the top of your table. Like you probably don't, exp- you don't say like you're on smooth stone or something like that. Yeah. Like it's probably not important. But if you're walking on smooth stone and all of a sudden the ground turns muddy, that's probably something your players are going to notice and you would probably describe to them about yeah, the touch. Yeah, you look look for those opportunities. If you're if you're trudging through a swamp, touch is something that is huge there. If you're touching a mimic with the adhesive on it, touch is huge there. If you fight an enemy with spikes on his armor and he like grapples you you're gonna feel touch it. <laughs> is huge there like you're gonna feel it and describing that like you just said morgan like if you get whacked in the face by a mace like touch you is were a poet and you didn't even know there. it <laughs> like describe it another thing that i think we often miss as dms that is huge with like just actual touch is the elements like there's acid there's fire there's cold damage and we usually just say you get hit with this much physical and this much acid damage or fire damage or cold damage because sometimes that plays the difference with immunities and things like that however those things feel different than regular mace in the face damage yeah. <laughs> like acid burning your skin and also you you, you can describe it differently as yeah. well In, instead of saying you have cold damage you say your fingers go numb exactly they know they've got cold damage they know right away they've got cold damage but you didn't see yeah it. all the hairs in your arms begin to freeze yeah that's what i'd start that's what i did with you guys the other day with those ice creatures that you fought yeah. was i said you guys got hit by like their icicle magic missiles and they absorb into you and your body instantly starts to chill and you mm-hmm. feel like you can't move quite as fast, you know? So it's like, it's things like that that can drastically alter how your characters view the situation yeah. that they're in. Oh, yes. Although I'm not sure how you describe acid. I think you know, <laughs> you've been playing with a car battery wrong and started trying to drink it. Let me tell you, I, I was working on a cabinet last night, stripping paint off of it. I can tell you what it feels oh, like burning. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it God. is not fun. <laughs> it hurts. No. So I could describe that really well. <laughs> Speaking of the, 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 the evilness that is the Hobbit film. <laughs> I actually had a battery in the back seat of my car when I went and saw the last Hobbit film, and uh, it was meant to be on the floor, but in my haste to, I, I guess, go and see the Hobbit film, I don't know why, um, I, I left it on the Because seat we always have hope. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, yes, we're filled with hope, and, and it exploded and covered the seat Ooh, with, oh, with, with battery acid, terrible. which I thought I soaked up, but... Um, <laughs> It, it it turns out that a bunch of it pooled underneath, and then of course in the Australian weather of forty degrees Celsius, which is a hundred and <laughs> stupid in, um, in Fahrenheit, <laughs> and it just it, it was it bubbled back up, and so I'm sitting there and I'm driving along, and then I go, 
I, I'm feeling a bit itchy. This isn't good. This is, oh, my pants are disappearing. I should probably get out of the car. So that, but D&D is basically what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, and you can use real-life examples of those things and amplify it. Sonic damage. How's, like, I, I think of, like, real-life example of sonic damage. I think of being at the front of the line or front of the rows at a rock and roll concert and feeling that bass go through your body like an explosion. Or when you hear the fire when you feel the fireworks too and you yeah, just steal yeah, it like you in your whole body. Yeah. Being at a high school disco and sticking your head inside <laughs> the amplifier. Because <laughs> yeah. that's always a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but those things can be huge as going along with those elements and magic like there's certain spells like stone to flesh. Don't just say you turned into stone. Oh. Like describe that terrible terrible feeling. Well, I think of like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when the the they get those little oh, discs yeah, yeah, shoved yeah. into them, like describing that, and you see everybody's agony and pain yep. changing into that, you know? Cracking. And then if yeah. you're, and then if the cleric like uses flesh or that or, yeah, stone to flesh is the good thing. Flesh to stone is the bad thing. But then if you, <laughs> if the cleric uses uh, stone to flesh and you get brought back, that great amazing feeling in large spells like that's gotta feel weird you think like reduce person spells that's gotta feel pretty stinking weird think of the spells and the magical effects on them and how it feels physically on your body well if you're a shapeshifter too like if you become a lycanthrope like i don't imagine that that's particularly pleasurable changing yeah, bone structure yep. and skin stretching and tearing and stuff yeah. you know like so it if, feels if, great yeah it's oh, great oh. i don't know what he's talking about <laughs> yeah look, i was gonna say that's why does, they make the sounds <laughs> 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 yeah, right. and they always seem to be in agony twisting and contorting yeah. when they do it yeah because they're just like this is awesome unless you're unless, yeah, they, just, they don't want anyone else to have when it. you're yeah. a lycanthrope <laughs> you know i'm gonna bring it back to twilight again because that's what oh, i always do gosh. apparently <laughs> but when they change into werewolves it's like this pleasurable thing where they just like are like yay we're werewolves <laughs> I haven't seen Twilight, but it's I probably, imagine that's it's basically probably, what it's like. <laughs> it's probably not like that if Woo-hoo! lycanthropy was actually real. So just uh, describing <laughs> that agonizing pain of that would just be something that would throw your players. If, if anyone, if anyone's seen Being Human, yes. either the American version or the, or yep. the British original British version, as when when the main one of the main three characters changes into a werewolf, it is painful to watch you can oh, yeah. feel every second mm-hmm. of it it's yeah. brilliantly done and and bringing elements of that to it to those kinds of changes and uh, as you said with sort of uh, enlarging or shrinking especially if you're shrinking and it's not all happening at once it's not uniform you will feel the bits of your body moving in ways that they should never well and how weird would that be like if your left arm shrunk first and you're like expecting it to like move <laughs> where it was before and it's like teeny tiny now you got like, T-Rex arms yeah T-Rex arms <laughs> big head little arms <laughs> I also think of like touch being a an important sensation when you come across weapons or armor made of different material right away i think of bilbo and frodo encountering the mithril chain shirt for the first time yeah. and how like it's as light as feathers but as hard as dragon scales mm-hmm. like touch was huge during that moment and if you come into mithril weapons or mithril armor like even like i think in pirates of the caribbean like at the beginning they uh, will makes that sword and they're like balancing it on their fingers and they're just like oh man the balance in this thing yeah feels amazing that's a good way to describe masterwork weapons what happens if you have one that's off of balance yeah exactly yeah like what what happens if you decide to use that 
you know, you take a weapon that's you're not proficient in, and you can you can physically use it. Like, but how does that feel? And describing that feeling for your players, like, of I'm using an orc double axe, but I'm not trained in that. And also, it, for for players, if instead of uh, say rolling a, a perception check or something on the door, they go, I roll a perception check on the door. Instead, if they if you've been throwing these details out at them, they may start bringing them back to you. And I know at one point, one of the players went, I walk up to the door, I put my hand on it, and I said, the other side, heat radiates through the yeah. wooden door. And all of a sudden, they're like, okay, we know something behind this door is hot, but it hasn't burnt the wood, something's right. going on here. And you can use touch, you can use these tactile senses, as with everything else that we've been saying, to help further not just sort of the description of these these elements, but also the story itself and the way that the players interact with the world that has been built around Precisely. Them. So the last sense that we have in here is kind of going along with touch, kind of not. We have feel. And some of you might right now be thinking, uh, that's the exact same thing. But we're not talking about... I've got a bad feeling about this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The feel of, like, D&D is a world of magic, is a world of auras. Like, you have the auras of, of law, of chaotic, of good, of evil. And so exactly, like, that Star Wars, like, I've got a bad feeling about this feel in the sense of, like, the aura. Like, how does a place, a person, a a monster, anything like that, how does it feel going beyond physical touch? With all of those auras, depending on power of aura, even if you aren't a cleric with, that's able to detect certain auras or something like that, I imagine in some situations, auras are powerful enough that everyone can feel it. And it definitely, if you use those auras and you tell your players... Uh, even th whether it's through that NPC that says, I have a bad feeling about this place, or you tell your players, all of you feel evil resonating from this place, or all of you feel holiness resonating from this place. Like, that is something that begs the question of who lives here, what lives here, what is this item that's resonating this, or like, what happened in this place a powerful event that makes us like was it some sort of magic that went off here years ago a war a disaster a miracle what is it that made this powerful aura why is this person who looks like a vagabond just emanating holy aura well because he is Heronius in, you know, yeah, trapped right. in the body right. of, a, of a vagabond or hiding as a vagabond. That begs those questions of why do we all feel this going on right now? Or I wonder if you could even make something in your world, for lack of a better term, you could call them feelers, that have <laughs> a heightened sense of feeling these auras. And they can tell things like... You know, they can tell how long ago something possibly happened or, you know, they, they can just be like, I just when you described it as feelers, I just imagine like the uh, those corny ghost adventure shows where they have like the the, uh, oh, the meters the, yeah, like, yeah. Zzz, yeah. and our feelers are going crazy right <laughs> yeah, now right. on the lawful scale. <laughs> yeah. But I just think like you could have people that have a heightened sense of this, yeah. you know, quote unquote, sixth sense feel and they just they just know that something happened and they might be somebody that you you figure this out about them and you're like you should come with us on our adventures because <laughs> you would be a really good person to have 
And you can also tie that sort of that feeling of aura with the other senses, especially if it's, say, a, a player or a NPC who doesn't, they don't know that they're a feeler. And so they're standing there and they just go, ah, it's gotten colder. And no one else feels it getting colder. <laughs> so you tie yeah, it into they just these have other senses, senses maybe, yeah. and they're the only ones sensing it. They feel that aura through these other descriptors that the players can relate to. Because if you say, he feels like the French connection would feel if it was a six hour long movie, they'd, they'd be like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, go away. <laughs> but if you say, you know, or you're like, oh, he feels like a god. Well, they don't necessarily, they might, but they don't necessarily know what a god feels like. And so by saying, by tying it back into those senses that we can we can empathize with and we know what they feel like and we know what are ringing in your ears as if you've got tinnitus or, or as if, uh, you know, a grenade has gone off or, or, or if you've just got that tone in your head because someone's clocked you on the side of the head. We, we know that feeling. We can relate to that. So you say that starts happening and it gets stronger as you get closer to this suit of armor and no one else can hear it. And they're standing there going, can anyone, is something's, it's going to drive them towards that story point, towards that item and to ask those questions uh, of, you know, who is this or what is it or, or, or what has happened here and tie it into that feeling of an aura, but using those other descriptors to help build that picture. Yeah, so these are all different senses that you can use to put details into your stories that maybe you hadn't thought about before. And hopefully now after listening to us talk about these kind of things, your mind is just buzzing with ways that you can add detail to story that you've already created or maybe we've given you things that now you're like, that gives me a brilliant idea to add to my story. But with all of the, that and the details and talking about that, we have come to the part of the episode which I know a lot of you have been with great anticipation waiting for. And so we are going to head into our top 10 section. So like we said at the beginning of the episode, we're going to leave you here on a little bit of a cliffhanger. You're going to be able to tune in next week to check out our top 10s with Morgan. They are fantastic. Come back and listen to those. But before we sign off with this episode, we do have another special announcement, a new segment that's being added to our show. But just before we announce it, just a little bit of backstory on this new segment. So we have a forum to accompany our show, and that forum is at dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net. And you can go to these forums and join a great group of our listeners who have started this awesome community to talk about our episodes here on the Dungeon Masters Block. Specific episodes are discussed there on the forums, plus all these other amazing things that have to do with D&D and geekery in general. Head on over, check it out. Once again, that's dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net. But we have a new segment called DMnastics, and this segment is not going to be led by me and DM Chris. This is going to be led by DM Neil and DM Mainprize, two of our moderators on the forums. And one day, DM Mainprize decided, hey, let's start a new thread in this forum called DMnastics, where we're going to take the past week's episode of Dungeon Masters Block and we're going to make something for ourselves, whether it's a creature, whether it's a town or a city, whatever it is that our past episode has, it's a 
place for all the DMs on the forums to come and together work on creating homebrew things. It's really fantastic. Go to the forum, sign up, and help to build awesome new creatures, new towns, new gods, whatever it is. And so what you're going to be hearing now is our first segment of DMnastics. And I want you to welcome, with applause from wherever you're listening, DM Neil and DM Main Prize, and the first segment of DMnastics. Welcome to the first DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And I am DM Main Prize. Uh, yes, that's my real last name. We're really excited to have you guys on for this first segment. We're really honored that DM Chris and DM Mitch would let us contribute and uh, join in on the podcast fun. The purpose of this segment is to kind of share ideas that we have on the forums. The idea for DMnastics um, came from a post I saw on Reddit where a Reddit user was challenging other dungeon masters to test their imagination and creativity by completing small challenges that he would post. Um, I'm a pretty new DM, so I figured that I could benefit from this process and that it was something I could post onto the Dungeon Master Block forums and the rest of the DMs could kind of join in and we could create some cool stuff. So I posted up a challenge. I think to create some magical items and uh, many moons later, this has been a weekly activity on the forums. And so we wanted to try and share that with the podcast listeners who weren't as active on the forums. Eventually it got to the point where we started tying the gymnastics into uh, the current episode that was being posted. So to kind of lead us into that, Joe Moniak's going to talk about the first time we actually tied those together. So as the main prize mentioned, it's been going on for some time. So the first time we really linked them together was for episode 24, Survivalist Gaming and Horror Campaigns. The guest for that was J.M. Perkins from Tribality.com. I was actually the one that made this DMnastics on the forum, and I titled it Find the Fear. So it was kind of an idea of just presenting a few simple words and asking other DMs on the forum to come up with something that would scare their players. Diseases, poisons, just a scary idea, a terrifying monster, just anything that came up. So the, the words I presented were Hell's Fury, Dwarf Rot, and Coffin Spire as one word, which is actually referred to as a portmanteau, and those are awesome. Definitely awesome. One of the guys on the forums, uh, DM Never, he had an idea for Hell's Fury that we thought we'd highlight. It was pretty sweet. I'm just going to read it to you straight so you guys can get the idea. It's a chronic eye infection acquired when the blood of a corporeal demon splashes onto your face or if you end up handling a fiend's bloodied corpse and then touching your face without washing your hands. The bacteria causes the blood vessels in the eye to become highly inflamed, turning the sclera red and causing a dark red or black liquid to leak from the tear ducts. The infected person's vision becomes tinted red and eventually leads to blindness as the bacteria proliferates and penetrates the lens. So this was a creepy idea that you never had for like a disease that you could contract from being around demon and fiend's blood. Definitely something that you could hit with your players. Um, and then they'd have to not only deal with finding a cure for it, but maybe eventually becoming blind. A lot of scary stuff could come out of that. So we wanted to highlight that one. The next idea was for Dwarf Rot, and it came from DM Almarian Knight. Um, just his idea was that even the mere mention of Dwarf Rot would scare villagers because it could just start as a simple cough, a bloody nose, but turn into something much, much worse. Essentially, the victim would wake up 
uh, and be two feet shorter. And it's impossible to stop for the common folk. And so to kind of put a humorous twist on it, he had what was essentially the an interview of the wife of the mayor of a new dwarf rot city. And when asked how she felt about the disease, she stated that it was horrible and that one day uh, you have a small, normal cough, and then the next you have trouble reaching the salt in the cupboard. Definitely a great idea. If you have any players who are playing as tall, strong guys, definitely throw this disease at them. Shrink them down by two feet for a while till they find a cure, something they could definitely have to struggle with. The, the last idea we're going to highlight, one of DM Mitch's own ideas uh, for Coffinspire. So he decided to turn that into a type of monster, uh, basically a subtype of mimics. As we all know, mimics, you know, they're generally like a treasure chest. You open it and it tries to eat your face off. His idea was to have a mimic that is in the shape of a coffin. And they hide in catacombs or tombs, um, and they wait for grave robbers or people exploring these areas to come by, and then it opens up and it grapples the victim. And if it's successful, it pulls the victim inside, which that's kind of terrifying enough. But then he went on to explain how it is the person trapped inside is just doomed to death, and slowly the monster's just going to digest them over what he gave as a time period of like 2D6 days. So that's just terrifying you're just trapped inside your a coffin beast slowly being decomposed that's a great idea i loved it uh, definitely something i'm going to consider adding into my campaigns so that's the three kind of ideas we wanted to highlight from this dmnastics find the fear uh, we just want to implore the listeners out there who aren't on the forums to join up and take part in these challenges and exercises so they can really uh, strengthen your ability to come up with ideas and there's also a lot of good conversations that are being had uh, on the forums and ideas that other people have posted that I've brought into my own homebrew settings. Uh, so definitely join up and check that out. Head over to the forums at dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some DMnastics. So your players don't ask, do you even lift? I gotta get a pump. That's it. It's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. Well, that's all that we have for you for this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block. Like we said, we will be continuing this one next week with our top tens. Morgan will be back, even though it's already already pre-recorded, but he will be he will be joining us again for that episode as well. Giving they us some are some of me. I think this was probably my favorite mine top too, ten going through. I, I just I can't wait for you guys to get so these. So now lists. you have to wait a week. <laughs> now we're, we're now we're making you wait a week, suckers. So before we go. We have a few details that we need to take care of as a podcast. Ah, Some places that you, you can come and get in contact with us. And so first place, of course, is our email, dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Head over there. Send us your emails that are a little bit longer than 140 characters uh, on Twitter. Even though we love getting those on Twitter, yes, we do. please send us uh, if you have any stories or any details or anything else that you want to send us regarding your campaigns or any questions, feel free to send them there, dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. The next thing, next detail that we want you to be aware of is please, please, if you, if you would, go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review that helps our name get out there, helps the podcast community that you guys have really created for us with very little work on our end. <laughs> send, us, send us a five-star review over there and you'll get a shout-out at the beginning of the episode. We are also on Stitcher and join us at our forums as well. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. You can also follow Chris and me, our personal Twitters. Mine is at DM underscore Mitch and Chris, yours is at DM underscore Chris one. 
DM Chris was just taken, yeah, so I was like, was all right, fine, I gotta put one. And also like our Facebook page. All of those places have great dungeon mastering tools and stuff. We have a Patreon member shout out for this week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to Nathan Rappel. Woo! Thank you, Nathan. Yeah, so thank you. greatly appreciated. Nathan is a dreaded gold dragon. He is awesome. Thank you for all of your support, Nathan. With nothing else, we are going to end out this episode. We'll see you back here a week from now, whenever it is you're listening. Maybe few, maybe shorter, maybe a little bit longer. But get excited. Creation Inspiration Top 10s coming at you next week. But without anything else, this has been the Dungeon Master's Block, of course. The place where we talk about the most important person in the game, the Dungeon Master. The only person capable of playing God. Killing characters. And lowering the egos of all of our players at the table. Have a great night, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. And remember, with great Dungeon Mastering comes great responsibility. Goodbye.